Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So close to college football, we can taste it. There'll be games on Saturday. Hawaii and UCLA. Southern Utah will be at San Jose State. There are more games to enjoy. Nebraska and Illinois. We got a Big Ten game opening weekend. It was a conference game week zero. It's crazy. All right, we'll get to all of that coming up. We're going to start with local college football teams right now. You can hear from the Utes and the Cougars, and then also David Locke talking a little basketball. Uh, we're going to start, though, with Kevin Clune, the linebackers coach at BYU. Uh, very careful not to overstep his bounds, as you'll hear in this interview. There's some stuff he gets asked about, and he doesn't want to get into that. That's somebody else's job. Uh, but where the defense is, especially the linebackers, and the linebackers working pretty closely with the defensive line is front seven. Here is Kevin Clune talking Cougar football. Coach, tough question off the bat. Who, who won the day, offense or defense? Oh, I have no idea. I just try to take care of my linebackers and try to make their defenses going straight. I keep in score of that stuff. That's somebody else's job. So I don't know. I just we played good football today on both sides. I thought that uh, at linebacker, I think those guys are playing at a real high level mentally. And so, um, you know, that's really carrying over every day in practice. I, I really am fired up with the, that position group and how they're doing and, um, you know, how the front's working together with D-line, all that stuff is, is, uh, is on point right now, right where we want to be for camp. We know about uh, Will Gar and, and Peely and uh, Tooley. It's kind of your main three guys. Who else is maybe breaking into that that uh, rotation or or that two deep chart for you? Um, you know, you, you you see Ben Bywater out there. He was injured last season and uh, he's really coming on, really playing smart. He's he's playing a number of different positions and has handled all that mental load well and is flying around and doing good things. He's fast, he's strong, and so he's kind of a guy that's going to show up that maybe you didn't see last year. Um, you know, guys like uh, Morgan Piper, who's done a great job. Again, multiple positions and running around and playing good ball. Um, you know, the next crew is, is probably like Josh Wilson and Drew Jensen. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody right there, but uh, I am forgetting somebody who's next. But um, yeah, but yeah, good. I'm, as a group, again, I'm very happy with the, the direction they're going and the progress they've made in the last, uh, I don't know what practice this is, but practice 10 or 15, I have no idea. You like the track you're on? You feel like you're you're on track? Are you ahead of schedule or behind? Or I actually feel coming out of last week's scrimmage, I felt like we were way ahead of schedule and and ready to take that step to start thinking about the first few games. So um, today was today's scrimmage was mentally focused. You know, um, you know the sideline, the coming on and off, understanding situational football. All those things were a, were a, were a major step forward from last week. So again, I'm, I'm very pleased with um, kind of the mentality and where we're at. And we can't wait to get to that first game, uh, even though it's, again, I don't know what day of the week it is or anything like that. But, um, you know, we got two weeks. I'm not sure. So two weeks from today. Yep. Yeah. All right, Sean, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Coach, I had kind of a similar question as Jay, but maybe even a little bit even, even less specific. Um, just how – how would you categorize the depth on this team? Cause it's at, at linebackers. Cause it's no secret that you guys obviously lost a lot of really good talent last year, but it, I mean, the way that you just rattle off names that are stepping up and making big plays. I mean, would you say that this team is, is, I don't even want to make too many comparisons to last year, but, but would you say that it's still got pretty good depth on it? 
Yeah, I mean, never do you want to go back and start comparing things to last year. This is a whole brand new season, a whole brand new schedule, you know, brand new guys. and Everybody's in a different place than, than last year. So it's always an evolution from the 2020 to 2021. And every year, you know, you want to count on, you know, the foundation that you built last year. But really, you got to go back brick by brick and take every step um, that there is in this new season. You can't shortcut anything and you know, hard work has to be there. It can't just be, well, last year we did this. So of course we're going to go out and score 42 points or whatever it may be. Um, this is brand new. And so when you talk about that now and, and coming into this, I inherited a great group of guys, a solid deep crew of guys that take care of business on the field, off the field, um, who have a great mindset and mentality for playing linebacker and they understand what they want to get done. And so um, I'm just been blessed walking into a room, I got 12 guys that I can count on. And, um, you know, maybe not all of them in the same place exactly, but, but you start with leaders like Peely and Wilgar and then Tuli and, and Bywater and Drew and, and, uh, you know, Kafusi, all those different guys. Um, they all bring something different and I'm just happy to be a part of that. And, uh, I can't say for every position, but I know mine, I love this crew. Of, of linebackers, the D line, again, we're working together with the D line and, and maybe there's not a star or a name, but you know, it's, I call them the no name D line because whoever's in there seems to be taking care of business for us so that we can make our plays at linebacker. So there's a lot to it. And, and you know, I, I can't, I, I, I'm so deeply involved. I don't look at the offense or how deep the O line is, whatever that is. I don't know, but I can just tell you about my situation. Um, how very happy I am to be with these guys. <laughs> Uh, Jay, go ahead. Yeah, Kevin, uh, A-Rod just told us you're not taking uh, the main ball carriers to the ground, Tyler and probably Lopini. Uh, seeing as how linebackers do the tackling on a team, is that uh, is that presenting any issues or problems for you getting your guys ready or are you getting enough work with the other running backs that you can? You know, day in, day out, um, yeah, first of all, like this, this isn't 1985 where we're going to go out and just knock skulls twice a day. Um, but day in, day out, we do get good work with the running backs, and we have different drills that we will do each day against the running backs, tight ends, receivers, you know, things like that, where they're working on ball security and trying to keep that ball high and tight and making sure they don't give it away. And as, as linebackers, we're, we're working on our fundamentals, a close creep strike, keeping our leverage, um, all the things that make good tackling. And so, you know, last week when we did go live, I didn't see, at least again, my, my position group, I don't remember a, a missed tackle. So I'm very happy with the progress last week. This week was more of, um, you know, this uh, whole week, we, you know, we're not banging those guys like Tyler. It'd be stupid to bang those guys right now. Um, but I am happy with the angles they're taking and how they're breaking down and doing the things, the fundamentals that you're going to need to be carried over towards the game. First games are always kind of uh, – you know, you don't know what you're going to get exactly, but I, I believe 100% these guys are going to be in that area. The tackling shouldn't be an issue. All right, Jake, last question. Yeah, Coach, you talked about uh, just like the leaders that, that you have on your squad. Uh, do you feel like any of those guys are really the leaders of the defense or do you look at them as um, as being the guys who are just looked up to on – on the team? Well, yeah. And, and this, this team is still, this, this version of, of BYU football this 2021 version is still evolving and that leadership is still coming around. You know, we lost good leadership last year. We lost our quarterback. We lost Isaiah Kafusi. You know, we lost, uh, Kairos Tonga. Um, and so the new leadership has to step in, take over 
and establish itself. And how that is, is going to be different than what it was last year, or the year before. So that natural evolution is still in play. I look towards, you know, Keenan Peely's a very quiet leader, but always doing the right thing and always in the right place and, and always working hard. And so he's a great guy to look towards. And, and in, again, I'm talking just about my group, Peyton Wilgar is another leader who's, who's been in the fight before and you know what you're going to get. And every single day when he comes out, he's looking to get mentally better. And so those you know guys fall on their example. Um, and then overall, this whole team, is, you know, mature young men, but this is the most mature team I've ever been around. And so, you know, somebody stepping out of line, those guys will handle it even before we might even see it as coaches. And so um, that's a great thing. And it's a tremendous, you've got tremendous kids here. And it's, it's a pleasure to work with kids like that. There's the linebackers coach, Kevin Clune. All right, coming up next, BYU offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick, head coach, Kalani Sataki, and Ute head coach, Kyle Whittingham. The quarterback competitions have been intense at both schools, but it sounds like the coaches think they know who the winner is. You'll hear from the coaches coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right, time to hear from the Ute and Cougar coaches. They had scrimmages Saturday. Everybody wants the uh, the depth chart nailed down now because the truth is they'd like a little more than a week for game week. And, of course, with the Utes opening on a Thursday, they'll take a week and a half, and the Cougars apparently will take two full weeks. So let's start with Aaron Roderick. Uh, his impression, which is actually hilarious, of one player who really stood out, a guy he didn't even know a year ago when he was on the field playing, um, and then also what he thinks, uh, where he thinks the quarterback competition is, and he thinks he knows who the winner is, and as you'll hear him say, he thinks all the players know as well. And then we'll get to Kalani and Kyle Whittingham. But first, here's A-Rod. Hey, Aaron, just uh, could you describe how the scrimmage went today and maybe what you learned about your offense that uh, you might not have known going in? Um, well, scrimmage was close to 100 plays, so got a lot of work in today. Um you know, some things, you know, we did, we did learn, I think some things about some guys today. I, I, I know you guys hate this answer, but we're going to go watch the film right now and, and uh, sort of confirm that the things we saw are, are accurate. And, um, but I think the, you know, the, we got a lot of good work. We got a lot of work to do. I know that we started slowly and um, then we kind of picked it up after the second or third series, we kind of got it going, but we can't start slow. And that was kind of a downer. Uh, but then we, we made some really good plays later in the scrimmage. And, you know, when we get our best 11, you know, we've got a little more than 11 cause we've got a good group of skilled players, but we get our best 11 players on the field. I think we're pretty hard to stop. And uh, we did some really good things. The tough part about the scrimmage is we don't need to see Tyler Algier get tackled. And so, um, when the, you know, when we, we're just, we're not tackling to the ground when the first team is up. So a big part of our offense is his ability to break tackles, run through arm tackles. 
we've seen it a lot of times and and in the scrimmages you know you hand him the ball they tag you for a two yard you get two yard gain when and a lot of times he would break those tackles or make somebody miss and uh, so you're a little behind the chain sometimes in the scrimmages. So that's, that's part of it, but uh, it's, it was good work for us. Anyway, it's good to be in difficult situations and good, good to go against a really good defense. Any other questions? Hmm. Jay, go ahead. I'll, I'll ask another one. Are you, how do you feel like, are you on track at, at this point in camp? Do you, do you like where you're at or are maybe a little behind? little ahead. Uh, I, I like where we're at. Yeah. We're, we're in good shape. We got a lot of work to do though. We can't, we don't, we don't, we can't take any, uh, any days off at all. We got to be, we got to keep progressing. We still have a lot of work to do, but I feel good about where we are and I like our team. Um, we've got some, some good skill players. We got a good offensive line and, and, um, the quarterback position is, is starting to become more clear. Uh, and so I really like this team a lot. I think very optimistic. We just, we just got to keep our edge though. You know, we got to keep working and keep, keep getting better every day. Uh, practices next week are, are huge. We got to keep progressing. Can't take a step back on Monday. Which players maybe caught your eye or turned heads today kind of stood out? Uh, Hobbs Nyberg had a really good day. Yeah. He, he did some good things and he's proving uh, to be a good offensive player. You know, last year he like, I didn't even know who the guy was. And all of a sudden he was in a game catching a punt. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, literally like I, he, and then, um, and he became our full-time punt returner and did a great job. And then this spring he started proving to us that he could play receiver. And then he had a good, good scrimmage today to the point where he's in the mix. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised at all if, if uh, we see him playing some receiver in games this year, as well as being our punt returner. Coach to, uh, to build off that question, is there anyone who has, um, since day one really made a lot of significant process, uh, progress from where they began, uh, that's caught your eye. Well, um, you know, I mean, our obvious guys, I mean, like you, I could mention Neil Pau, but to me, that's no surprise. He, to me, he was one of our best players last year. I, I don't know why he doesn't get mentioned as much as some of our, as some of our guys last year, but he had a great season last year and he's, he's a really good football player, gunner. Gunner did some really good things today. You know, everybody knows that he he's he was had a good year last year as well. And then Puka, uh, man, he he plays at a he plays at a really high level. He plays so hard and so fast. Um, you know, we get those guys on the field together, and um, it's a pretty fun group to watch. We add the, our tight ends and our running backs to that mix. Um, so those are some guys. I mean we already knew those guys were good, but they're all better than they used to be. They're all getting better every day. And, and that's, that's pretty cool to see. Okay, Norma, go ahead. Once again, you told us that the quarterback situation is just getting more clear. What do you mean by that? Does that mean you're narrowing down from the three guys to two? Does it mean one is taking some significant steps? Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, we're, I'm just, I'm getting close to establishing, you know, we've been going equal reps uh, all the way up to today and I'm getting close now to being ready to just, uh, you know, divvy up those reps a little more, uh, you know, to, to give the starter, whoever's going to start the first game, give him a little more. Um, well, so we'll start getting to that real soon. It might, it might be, might be as early as Monday. It would be Wednesday at the latest that we get to that. Um, we're going to go watch this film. We're going to talk about it as a staff and, 
And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's becoming pretty clear. And I, if, you know, if you, if you went and asked the players right now, they could probably tell you, but they, uh, you know, they, they've battled hard and they've all gotten better. And, but that picture is starting to clear up for us. There's BYU offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick. And he did speak before Kalani. Kalani, you'll hear, gets some of the uh, same questions as A-Rod, and some of them even reference the answers that he gave. Uh, here's Kalani. A lot of good work, a lot of great uh, opportunities to learn, uh, great situational football, um, just just putting our guys in different positions that we're going to see in games, and, and then just trying to manufacture uh, different looks. And uh, we were able to get all three phases clicking today. Um, and in regards to the scrimmage, uh, the – I know you guys are going to ask it like who did better. I'm just going to tell you that the offense started slow, which means the defense did pretty good. Then the offense got things rolling, and then it was kind of back and forth. Um, we had good amount of, of um, the uh, scrimmage go live, um, I would say. But the ones we didn't do live, we did um, mostly our, our practice tempo that we do normally with them. Um, but we last week we had um, the ones go live quite a bit. And even in practice, I would say the scrimmage last week, we had some live work and, and in, in practice, we got some live work last week. And this week we, we got opportunities to see some of our guys do some live stuff as well. So I know that um, you know, guys like Tyler Algier and others that have been playing a lot of football, you know, we may not make them tackle, get tackled in, in the scrimmage and stuff like that right now, but uh, we've had opportunities to do some, some, um, some tackling drills with them and, and, um, you know, just to keep them fresh. I don't, if you're looking at our one defense, those guys have tackled quite a bit this, this fall camp. So um, just don't want their first time to tackle be in the game. So uh, we're obviously going to work next week against some of our scouts and start focusing on Arizona and then away we go. But right now I feel really good where, where the team is at. Aaron just told us, uh, and he told me Thursday, and he just told us again that, the quarterback, you're getting separation now. You want to have maybe somebody after you watch the film today, but but probably before Wednesday. Are you on board with that kind of timeline? Of course, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll just echo what he said, and and we're starting to see. I wouldn't say that there's definitely a lot of separation. I'm just say that we feel really good about three quarterbacks, and and um, there's there's uh, we have an idea of what we're doing, and and we. We can we can see it. So I, it's uh, I we thought that maybe one would be elevated, but all three have elevated their game, and um, we're, we're starting to see how this is going to shape up. And I just want to confirm it all with the film and and uh, communicate with the quarterbacks themselves, and then away we go. So I think we're I think we're right headed right down that timeline that A Rock gave you. Other questions. Kalani, are you on track? Do you like uh, the whole team-wise, uh, where you are this far in camp? Do you feel like everything's installed and you're ready to go? Yeah, we got we got everything in place. Obviously, there's there's more practice and more things to learn. Um, we haven't done any scouting on Arizona right now, so all the focus has been getting our install, getting our our install, and focusing on what we're trying to get done on our offense, uh, defense, and special teams. And so all the installs in now. Now it's a matter of. Um, getting the depth chart solidified and and making sure that we get the right reps to the right guys and then start working on uh, Arizona prep. And so as we start doing that, we, we can start uh, looking at, at the, the, the play call sheet on both offense and defense and figure out the schemes that we want to work with. 
been a lot of emphasis on on uh, our assignments and technique and the fundamentals of football. We want to always work on that. That's a daily process, but we also want to make sure that we start getting towards a position where we feel like we have a scheme and a mindset going to execute against against Arizona. So um, that's that's what we're going to transition to. But in, in order to do that, you have to have kind of uh, an idea of who's going to run the bulk of the reps in practice, who's going to be running some scout team, give us the looks that we need, and start getting our travel squad solidified. How healthy are you? Have you come out of this with, with no season-ending injuries? So far? Yeah, we're, we're we're really healthy right now. Um, obviously, we got we have some injuries, and there's some things that some guys that have a little banged up here and there. But I I think going into the first game, I have to think. I gosh, I, I have to think about it right now. But I think everybody's still in play for now. But um, looking at at, uh, at at guys getting better, um, Puka's been a little bit limited, but today he went pretty full, he went full full go and. And he has been doing that for probably the latter part of this this week, and um, he looks really good. I, I've been, just, I really like that that receiver group. I like the skill set on the offense. Um, Down Holker, I just I would love every player to go serve a mission that he served because he's in great shape. Looks really good, and um, I don't want to jinx it, but he's got two weeks left to really get to get his um, you know his his. Uh, perfect his craft and he's he's really good and and it goes really well with what we've got with Isaac Rex and Mason Wake and the other guys in that group um so skill wise I really like the Gunnar Romney Neil Pau um I know I'm leaving guys out but they 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 did some really good things today and it's not just as receivers I thought they blocked really well downfield too so um yeah just just I'm excited I'm excited to see these guys start working, getting some fresh legs back and, and getting them ready for the, for the game. All right. Anybody else got any questions? Yeah. Kalani, you've, you've talked about a lot of things. The team is doing well and you feel like things are shaping up and you're looking ready. Um, are there any concerns you have as a head coach uh, just getting ready for game day? Every head coach has concerns. <laughs> so uh, how much time do you have? It, it's just a, uh, you know, there's always concerns, but the one thing that I'm really, um, I feel a lot of comfort with is, is our coaching staff and the type of players that we have in this program. And so, uh, it, to me, it makes my job um, that much easier for me as, as a head coach to be in this position, knowing the type of kids that we have, the leadership that we have on this team, and um, and also the potential leadership. And then uh, just really happy with the coaching staff that we have and then the way that they prepare these guys. Uh, really looking forward to the next couple of weeks because I feel like so far things have kind of gone to plan. And as a head coach, you're, you're, you kind of make your own trouble sometimes. You're like, well, things are going good, a little too good. You know what I mean? So it's like you're always battling that situation where we've got to create, find, to find ways to, to make things ugly. And then it's hard because when we're scrimmaging, um, you know, we're going off of when we're doing our, our ones, we're going off of um, tag. So, uh, they're not getting the benefit of that when it comes to gaining yards and things. So it makes it a little harder to sustain drives, but so what? That's, that's what we do. We train ugly. We put ourselves in positions that ha- make mistakes and have uh, a difficult time in practice so that we don't have to uh, worry about those in, in the game. So we're, 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 it's not error-free. So as much as I like the progress of the team, 
Um, there's still a lot of mistakes there, and that's a good sign for us to correct them. But they're correctable mistakes. They're easy. They're things that we can we can definitely uh, fix with a little bit more focus, a little bit more discipline, and and a little bit more instruction from the coaches. And so as we start doing that, uh, these scrimmages are really good for our players. But I think a lot of people don't realize how good they are for the coaches as well to go through the the game type of uh, situations and play calls and uh, working your personnel and, and working with referees that that's a, that's a fun dynamic. And, um, you know, I, I, I say that the players need the work, but the coaches do as well. And we're going to take it every advantage of the next two weeks to get ready for this game. Here's BYU football coach Kalani Sataki. Now up to the U where the questions are the same because they're the same questions everybody's asking in college football at this time of year, you know, who jumped out at you in the scrimmage, especially when the scrimmages are closed? Where does the quarterback competition start? When are you going to nail down the two deeps? And when you do, are you going to let the public know? Uh, here's Kyle Whittingham. How'd it go? It was a good day. Um, wasn't as physical as last scrimmage. The reason being we did a lot of what we call thud work instead of live work throughout the entire time. It was about 50-50 today, whereas last scrimmage was 100% live work. You know, we're 12 days out. Uh you don't have a waiver wire in college. You lose some guys, you're, you got what you got. And so we erred on the side of uh, being uh, cautious, particularly with the ones. But uh, we still got good work done. It was a productive day and another step forward for us. What did you see from your quarterbacks? Good stuff. They're still uh, doing a great job. We'll definitely have a guy named on Monday. We'll probably release a depth chart on Thursday, a week out ahead of the game, and uh, go from there. Do you have an inkling where you want to go with the QBs or – are you still trying to make up your mind on that? Uh, we'll have an inkling after we watch this tape. It'll be decided today. It'll be decided in-house today. Yep. When are you going to announce it? Uh, well, we'll give you a depth chart Thursday. I guess we could play that game of <laughs> either or. Uh, I don't know if that you know serves any benefit for us, but, but Thursday you'll have a depth chart of uh, our projected starters. Were you happy with what you saw from the quarterbacks? Did uh -huh. they make it tough on you again today, or did somebody step forward? They've made it tough uh, the entire time, and it's, it's uh, like I said, it's going to be a close call, but we feel like we've got a, a enough body of work now to uh, to make the call. And they're, they're both really good players, so I can tell you that. And we've got a good situation in that regard where we're picking from two guys that uh, are both uh, very high-quality quarterbacks. What's your situation with uh, wide receivers? Do you have the depth that you feel like you need? Yeah, we feel like we do. We've got six or seven guys that we're real confident in and then looking for a, another guy or two to emerge. And, uh, again, that depth will be announced on Thursday. And, uh, really, the old line, we've had a lot of guys banged up. That's probably the, the most concerning thing right now is the continuity of the old line because they haven't – it's been like a revolving door with with guys getting dinged. And so that needs to change. we got to get those guys uh, – playing together as a unit and we're running out of time so that, that's the most concerning thing for me right now do you have five that you like up front that are healthy right now uh yeah we'll always be able to put the five out there because we got like 10 or 11 that we really like but but to get the top five out there we haven't been able to do that because guys have been missing practice you said early in camp you guys were at 92 percent in terms of uh, yep. the back straight has that number gone up yeah it's going to be 95 that's about where we're going to level off at 95 percent anybody who's not vaccinated will those guys be allowed to travel once you're traveling? Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, now there may be restrictions on the places we're going. You know, there's a, there's a distinct possibility that some of these uh, away games, if you're not vaccinated, you can't do it. And so that's beyond our control. But but uh, we're going to end up probably with uh, half a dozen 
non-vaxxed out of 124, you do the math and it's about 95%. Has somebody emerged as a running back one? No, and that's uh, okay. It's not ideal, but it's okay. It's not it's not uh, as pressing as uh, some of the other positions, quarterback, O-line, because we feel like we've got four real good ones. And, and my guess is my, my uh, I'm fairly certain that those guys will se- separate themselves and sort themselves out in the first game or two, and we'll know who's the who's the prime, primary guy. What about that other uh, safety spot, or, or, or both of them? Right now, uh, McKinney is running with the ones with Vontae Davis. Those two guys are the top guys, and and uh, Kamoi Latu and Cole Bishop are running with the twos, and it's a battle for that fifth safety spot still. Is McKinney's experience maybe what separates him from the other two? That and other things. You know, he's very athletic. He was a four-star kid out of high school. He's got a ton of uh, athleticism, and, and he's very smart. Uh, came to us with a great football background and, and a knowledge of defense, and, and as you expect, played for Washington, quality program. And so, so he uh, is, you know, he's a, this is his last year. He's a senior, and, and he wants to make the most of it, and he has so far. He's had a really, he had a really good camp, which obviously is over now, but, but right now he's slated for number one. That's not to say it's absolutely in concrete right now because we still have uh, about 10 practices before we line up and play. You've got the, the team moving in this week and also with the school starting next week. Do you start the regular s- s- uh, season practices now or is it still kind of more fall camp getting things worked in that way? It's, it's regular season. What do you mean the team moving Sorry, in? I mean, I guess all of campuses, I guess, is moving in this week. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what we do, and we've done it every year for many years, is you have a, a Monday through Thursday run up to the game and then you repeat it. And so Monday through Thursday will be exactly like a game week, Monday through Thursday. Then on Friday, we'll start over again Monday and run right up to the, the game on Thursday. That, that's that been our MO for years, and it gives the players a, a, a good idea of what's expected the first run through, and then they know exactly what to expect the second run through. Have uh, X and Van separated at all? Uh, Van right now has been running with the ones, and X would be the first guy in as of now. Mika and Van are the, are the guys that – and uh, X was down for a few days with an injury, and Van really made the most of that. And Van is – Van is uh, really uh, – the light switch has gone on for him this fall camp, and we're, we're expecting him to have a, a very solid year. What, what have you accomplished in, in camp that, that maybe you didn't think what was going to be able to be accomplished? <sighs> well, we feel uh, – like we've addressed pretty much every area. The only thing, like I said, that concerned me is the old line. Everything else I think is is either addressed or on its way to being addressed. And uh, our punter has gotten much better. You know, we'll see how he reacts when the bright lights are on. But but his uh, he's done a nice job. And of course we got an All Pac-12 kicker returning and Jaden Redding. So we got a, hopefully a solid guy there. And so I'm I'm going to tell you right now that uh, we've had a good camp and pretty much all the issues have been addressed and all the question marks uh, with the exception of getting the five top linemen together you've had quarterback competitions before uh-huh. was this one is close and as tough to sort through as you've had it was exactly and and uh you know i think back uh and, and we're not just making stuff up and trying to you know gamesmanship i mean back when tyler huntley and and uh troy williams were battling everyone says oh it's going to be troy there's no you know they're just posturing or whatever it ended up being tyler and then we had uh, Bentley and, and Cam. It was always oh, Bentley. What do you mean? You know, why, why are they, why are they pulling all this nonsense? And it was Cam. And so it's legitimate. And we're gonna, you know, we have a guy that, we'll have a guy today that we are gonna name. And and uh, it's been legitimately, uh, complete neck and neck competition. And both those guys have done an outstanding job. Does it say something about Cam that 
he's coming off the injury and yep. made this harder than maybe you thought it would be. Well, it didn't surprise me, yeah. but in fairness to Cam, without being here in spring, we owed it to him to give him every opportunity. He won the job last year, and and uh, we'd be it wouldn't be intelligent to not give him every chance to you know to see where he's at, and and he's proven that he's back right where he left off last year, and. And uh, then you got Charlie Brewer, who's thrown for 10,000 yards and won, you know, 40-something games at this level or whatever it is. And so, so he's, uh, you know, he's got his plus side of the ledger as well. That competition behind both of them, like quarterback, have you sorted that out yet, or is that kind of similar to the uh, it's it's being sorted out, and we, we have a pretty good idea. And, and uh, you know, we'd, uh, we don't want to say anything about that publicly right now and, and until we tell them exactly what our plans are. Yeah, he's done a great job. I mean, he's only a junior, you know. Even though he's been here for a lot of years, he's he's a junior. But uh, he is he has really stepped up between him and Covey. Those are definitely the two leaders uh, at the receiver spot. And uh, Solomon knows what the expectations are in this program, and he demands that that receiver group live up to those expectations. There's Kyle Whittingham, and I guess the uh, most interesting piece of news there: uh, the running back competition will go on into the season. Not totally surprising. Uh, they've got Weber State in the opener. That can sort some things out. BYU Week 2 and then San Diego State, who they really ought to overpower Week 3. And what's a road game, but it's really a neutral field game. I just don't think there are going to be that many people um, up in Carson, California, up in L.A. County for a San Diego State game. So the Utes ought to be way better. So he's got some time to figure it out. And if you check last year, um, Ty Jordan, I think he got like – four carries or something like that the first week and then 10 the second and then 27 the third <laughs> he went from well let's see what he can do to okay let's split the carries three ways to he's our guy give him the ball 27 times that i think is how it's going to play out here and you can only have so much live tackling you can't get guys hurt so knowing that you're going to be favored in all three of the uh, non-conference games and knowing you're going to be overwhelmingly favored in two of them it's obvious why he feels like he can let that running back competition play out. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, David Locke talking basketball with PK and I here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. David Locke joins us now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us. On the Smart Rain guest line, it's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David Locke, brought to you every week by the Murdoch Auto Group. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. So, PK. Yeah. PK, I'm at a golf place that is a... I'm not in Utah. Um, that is a swing speed center. Oh, really? It's fascinating. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Like, Arden's picked up seven miles an hour on her ball speed in 40 minutes. 
Wow, and you're just, kidding. And just, and just went to 10, just had three swings where her ball speeds up 10 miles an hour in 40 minutes. And so what do they in, uh, indicate that that would be in terms of uh, added distance? Because swing speed is uh, where it's two, about. Two, uh, ball, so we're doing ball speed, not swing speed on, on her, just because of her swing and the way she swings. Ball speed is more important. So it's about, it's close to two yards per mile per hour. Nice. Two yards so, for every mile an hour? Of ball speed, yeah. So if you pick up seven, so she was at two. She was at two twenty-five, and she's close. She's verging on two fifty right now. Wow, she running around high five and every people high five and uh, everybody. She's, she's she's quite honestly not to reveal all family secrets on the air. She's had a really tough week, so this is good. I was playing with a kid who uh, went Park City High School and works at a club up there in that area. And we were talking. I said, "Oh, I know somebody. Uh, he's got a daughter. Oh, yeah." And he couldn't quite pronounce the full name. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know who it was? Oh, I don't. I forget his name. Uh, he was a tall, skinny kid. And uh, really tall? Like 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, I would say well over six feet, yeah. Going going to Dartmouth? I don't know about that. He, but he, uh, wor- he yeah. wasn't a... He he played uh, all sports at Park City High, graduated like... Oh, uh, that's not... No, no, not no in fact, I think he was going to Utah yeah. State. Yeah, now that okay. I think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, not who I was thinking about. Yeah. How about this one? Poor, how the, you want a crazy COVID story? So there's a kid we know really well. Great kid. I mean, fabulous kid. Like, we all, like, just, you know, world-class kid. So he gets good golfer, gets Dartmouth. Ivy League school says, we'll have you. So he gets into Dartmouth. He's going to Dartmouth to play golf. They cancel co- golf during COVID. Mm, yeah. Maybe. Like, how's that for a heartbreaker? Right, right? totally. Like, ooh. Yeah. I think they might be reinstating it, so he's trying to figure out what he's doing. But like, hope so. Still, I don't. You know, like talk about knocking off like every life dream you've ever had: Ivy League school and golf, and da, 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 and then oh, by the way, that's gone. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a pretty rough lesson at eighteen years old. I agree. So while you seem to be in quite the good mood, LeBron James is not in a good mood. A poll of ten. Uh, executives, coaches, you know, people with some NBA tie, and the votes for best player in the league get split between Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kevin Durant. Hardly outrageous, but LeBron is upset by this. Now, his Lakers were picked to go back to the NBA Finals. So there is that. Do you make much of that, or is this just Michael Jordan finding a way to motivate himself? Yeah, I mean, I think this is LeBron at 36 trying to find another way to motivate him, and it's an interesting question. Like, so... And I don't even, like, it's interesting if I got asked that question, I think I'd be, like, if you just, like, ask me right now who's the best player in the NBA, and obviously everyone's going to do their offseason rankings and they're super fun to do. Like, it's such a complicated question because of LeBron's age, right? So, you know, you're at 36, I think is what he is now. And so is he my best player in the league for 82 games? Probably not. Is he the best player in the league for a seven-game series? Probably not. Is he the best player in the game for like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter of a 90-90 game? Yeah, I'm still going LeBron, right? Like, I think. Um, so, I mean, Giannis really, that was remarkable. I really almost want to kind of go back and re-watch that series the more I kind of have, like, I don't know. I almost feel like while it was going. I mean, the playoffs this year were just so incredible with Durant's foot on the line and holiday steal. I mean, I'm going to take this in a different direction now, but like I was actually kind of going through some stuff the other day. Cause I think Milwaukee's really interesting in that 
one, that Chris Middleton is like their second best player. That kind of defies all logic we have in the NBA, that that can be your second best player and and win a championship. And so I've been kind of trying to walk through what they've done. It's pretty fascinating, right? Like, you go back and look, and the year they got beat by Toronto, they two years ago, they're like play a double overtime game three in that playoff series up two games to none in Toronto. Like, well, I haven't gone back to rewatch it. I probably will just try to find it somewhere because I'm curious. But it seems to me if you're playing a double overtime game, you probably had five chances to win that game, right? Maybe six. Like, so like that, the difference between them, like winning the title two years ago is probably this double overtime game against Toronto. And the difference this year is Kevin Durant's foot being like on the line for a three, right? Like, it's kind of amazing. So, I guess trying to take it back to the – sorry, that's just kind of where I was basketball-wise. But when you take it back to this question about, like, who's the best player, like, well, if Giannis had won it – if won that double overtime game and maybe he wasn't ready and so he wasn't the best player in the league. But if he'd done it then, like, we'd be saying that Giannis is the best player in the NBA for three years now, right? Like, it's pretty interesting. Like, Kawhi's been talking about as the best player in the league, but that's because of that double overtime game when Toronto's way and then they somehow won three more and then that ball bounced in. I would suspect, based on summer league, guards like Forrest would do well. And so, to me, watching him play in the summer league was about what I expected. Uh, but I didn't know what to expect from Azubuke, and I thought he had stretches of defensive dominance. Do I read into it? Is there anything there? Um, I kind of hate summer league for these purposes. Um so with that caveat, now let's hold the discussion just because I feel like I've made more mistakes in every stage of my like 25 years in the NBA of evaluating people by watching summer league. And like my greatest, it goes all the way back to like the jazz giving David Benoit a big contract as he dominated summer league. Like, come on, like no crap. Um, and it goes back to, I remember watching a summer league game. We played like Washington in Vegas and it was like Trey Lyles and Kelly Oubre decided to put on a one-on-one show for each against each other. And it was like, this is the biggest waste of time I've ever seen because neither of these guys should ever do this in the NBA. So what's the point of having him do it here? The actual point is that both these guys need to learn how to play with teammates, not to be selfish. So I just, I'm not the biggest believer in summer league. I'm sure scouts see a lot out of it and I just not good enough to get it. With that said, in regards to Azubuke, I mean, I think it's important in that, he was dominant, and he, he really can run, and you saw all the skills. What I can't tell is, like, let's go back to the Jazz playoff series against Memphis. Like, Valanciunas is really, really good, and he'll make New Orleans better. But he can't move laterally an, at all. And so Donovan would take him on the pick and roll, and if he's backpedaling and drop coverage, Donovan just torched him. Like, if you go back and look at the numbers, and they were actually there in the regular season, too, of like Donovan taking a role on Valanciunas, he just kills him because he's got a wiggle and Valanciunas has none. There wasn't a single guard that the Jazz played in summer league, and maybe Emmanuel quickly was like the only guard in summer league that was actually good enough, or maybe Jalen Green, um, to, to test Azabuke in that manner, right? So like all the defensive stuff looks great, but like I want to see an NBA guard coming at him to be able to tell whether or not that size and that, that, that length can have the same impact. And then, you know, his weaknesses 
are that he's not a great defensive rebounder, partially because I just don't think he's a great defensive rebounder, and two, because he's trying to block every shot. Well, like, Summer League doesn't really expose that. Like, his wanting to block every shot, like, he actually reminds me of Hassan Whiteside in his opening years where, like, Hassan Whiteside, I think, blocked, like, four shots one year and, like, had the worst defense, a terrible defensive rating. Because, sure, he blocked four shots, but there were 13 others where they just, like, he overplayed and they either got an offensive rebound or they got a basket because he overplayed. So he's going to have to change the way he plays that because in the NBA, if you try to block every shot, they'll just kill you. David Lodge, is, like, here's the thing we got to understand, and this is my summer. This is really what I should have said about summer league instead of like that silly line about it. The league is so awesome. I mean, so awesome. And there's a bunch of things that are actually happening in the league that I think are transformational on who wins titles and things of like that because the league's so awesome right now. So when you think of the eight players that impact an NBA game, and maybe you know, and I mean four on each side, and so maybe it's ten compared to the guys that are playing summer league, like, come on, like, it's just like, stop, right? Like, it's absurd how great the guys in the league are. So I think we have to really realize, and particularly in a league that just hasn't expanded forever, while having a massive international explosion, while having the most popular players in the world and Michael and Kobe and LeBron, most popular athletes other than soccer players. Like, and so if you're six, four and an athlete, you're playing the NBA for the last 20 years and you can be in any country in the world now, and we haven't expanded in that time. Like, the league is stupid great right now, talent-wise. And so when you're showing it against what is the 15th guy on a – like, Trent Forrest is one of the best players. Like, he's a two-way contract guy, right? Yeah. Like, he's not – he's like three versions removed from being one of those eight guys, maybe four versions removed. So I just think it's really hard to evaluate and get excited about summer league play. David? I think we should talk about Brian Bailey and what a great job he did coaching the team. How's that? I agree. I do. I thought Brian Bailey was awesome. He's a great guy. We, we don't talk about him. We talk about all the other assistants. He's kind of the lost assistant in there. He's out of the G League. He's a crazy Ooh. great story. He went to Bucknell University, played, and then they were recruiting another guy on his team and to go play in Europe, and then he actually got the gig, and, or they actually saw him play, and I think he ended up playing like seven years in Europe, and then he came back and like did what you're supposed to do. He went to the G League, worked for the Stars, and working his way up. Now as an assistant coach, like this is. Yeah, and I then mean, they I carried him like off a, the field, and the crowd chanted, "Brian, Brian, Brian!" Brian. Right. And the name of the movie is "The Lost Assistant." I love it. Right, I like it. So I mean, I mean, honestly, in this day and age of like guys, that was awesome. PK, that was awesome. <laughs> So Brian, Brian Bailey is my Trent Forrest. Okay. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, <laughs> joining us here. David, as always, we appreciate it. His visit brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Group. And David, we'll talk to you again down the road. Okay. Brian, 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 The Lost Brian. Assistant. That's a beautiful title, too. I <laughs> love it. See you, guys. <laughs> That and the quiet radio host. <laughs> the five-second rule, dude. Mm-hmm. You violated it twice. It's your own fault. I did. I, did. I tried to inbound the ball with four seconds. <laughs> yep. You got to have the five count. Let him think one more thought. <laughs> That's the challenge. I don't pay attention to any of the content. <laughs> I just... 
Do I get comes a pause? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not a pause. <laughs> because if it is something that I can do and he's done and we don't talk to each other, that's a winning interview. There it is. <laughs> there is David Locke. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag NFL. Back to throw is Wilson. Well protected. Floats one up the seam at the goal line. Croft makes the catch. Turns. End zone. Touchdown. Tyler Croft from Zach Wilson. Play action. Bootleg out to the left. Zach Wilson flips it left. Tyler Croft makes the catch. Left side line 10. He's at the 5. Front left pylon. Powers his way into the end zone. There's a jet touchdown. Zach Wilson, 9 of 11, 128 yards, two touchdowns. They beat the Jets 23-14, and Aaron Rodgers is on the broadcast saying nice things about Zach. Maybe not so nice about Zach's offensive line, but nice things about Zach. Applaud it to keep rolling in, PK. It's not Zach, it's Roy. <laughs> Roy? Rookie of year. <laughs> How many times are I going to tell you, you look cute with your haircut? You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you didn't say anything on Friday, though. I got it on Thursday. <laughs> Takes you so long to notice. Well, I try to keep my head down. That's been the success <laughs> key, key to my success in life. I worked a weather guy in uh, Santa Barbara who used to say HDMS, David. HDMS. What's that, Phil? Head down, mouth shut. He said that right when a news director was going on a tirade in the newsroom. I can't keep my mouth shut, though. Pivoted and walked away. You can't do that. Not in this You can only half of Phil Mann's uh, (laughs) historic advice. Any relation to Joe Mann? No. Rookie of year. How many times I got to say it? Now, I called it long before anybody else, but I ain't never looking for no credit, man. I'm telling you, I got a keen eye. And the eye, the ear, the heart, the nose... Especially the nose. And the right arm tells me. A superstar. Indianapolis Colts are going to get quarterback Carson Wentz and All-Pro guard Quentin Nelson back this weekend. They're going to get to practice on a limited basis after undergoing identical foot surgeries earlier this month. You may remember the prognosis was 5 to 12 weeks. An unusual combination if there ever was one. And it looks like they're both coming in on the short end of that. Much closer to 5 than 12. Okay, well, that was the prognosis, so they were right. Yeah, even they weren't sure they were going to be right, or they wouldn't give given us 5 to 12. Who's they? The medical people. Oh, I, how do you know they weren't right? They said 5 to 12, and they got it right. What are you talking about? They yeah. weren't sure. How can you speak for them? They said 12. Right. Well, that's the end. of You never know how the body's going to respond. Makes sense to me. The Atlanta Falcons lost backup quarterback A.J. McCarron for the season. Torn ACL in his right knee. Titans head coach Mike Vrabel announced he's tested positive for COVID-19. He's isolating until he gets retested today. Titans held joint practices with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before their preseason game this past weekend, but no other coaches have tested positive yet. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football.
Oregon and Oregon State became the first Power 5 schools to announce it can require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for people over the age of 12 to attend their football games. I was opting to show proof of a negative test result needed to be from within three days of the event. So you think that's a smart move? Sure. Me too. I think all important things you should have to show proof of things. I'm with that. All important things yeah. show proof of things. Yeah, like when you get on a plane, you got to show an ID. Uh, you want to enter a bar and you got to be 21, you got to show an ID. Yeah, all that type of stuff. I'm all for it. Penn State AD Sandy Berber on Saturday said, The Big Ten feels like it's in a really good place. As the conference explores an alliance with the ACC and Pac-12, but that it continues to pay attention to what brings value beyond money. Bull crap. (laughs) Beat me to it. (laughs) The thing that there are conferences out there that could bring value from a monetary standpoint, particularly speaking about our TV contract and other TV revenues, Barbara said, the Big Ten really prides itself on being more than just an athletic conference in terms of our provost get-together. We share some library resources, some other academic resources. Oh, bloody freaking dog. (laughs) You go ahead and tell your library resources. You ever have anybody tell you, away from microphones and cameras, it really is unusual. These guys really are into the a- academics. They have to say that. People who don't work at those schools away from microphones say that. And I still find it hard to believe. I'm with you. Well, I find it hard to believe. But they like to tell you that. I no. want clean air. <laughs> and I'm for it. Meanwhile, your house can be polluted as long as mine is fine. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz are going to open the 21-22 season October 20th when they welcome the Oklahoma City Thunder to Vivint Arena. The entire 82-game schedule was revealed Friday afternoon. An initial over-under win totals from the Caesar Sportsbook in Las Vegas put the Jazz at 51.5 wins. That's tied for third most in the NBA. Lakers and Sixers also sitting at 51 and a half. The Nets are the big dog at 54-5. The defending champs, the Bucks at 53 and a half. Always a half. No pushes, PK. We're going to have winners and losers here. Does that feel about right? Ah, man, I'm not in NBA mode. Uh 51 wins uh, in their third most, so yeah, respective to everybody else, they should be in the mix, and this puts them in the mix. And in the mix is the best you're going to hope for, because nobody's going to say you're a lock. Nobody's even going to say you're the lead dog. I don't care about that. Take in the mix. They are are viewed as uh, contenders. That's the point, because they are contenders. So where they stand... Relative to the rest of the league, they should be considered contenders. That's what they believe they are. That's what they're building toward. That's why they had all these moves. That's why they're way over the luxury cap and all that stuff and got to pay an enormous check as of now. That could change, obviously. So all those things dictate that they're in the mix. And this, odds-wise, betting-wise, shows that those folks are in concert 
with what Jay-Z thinks and, and the ownership and that type of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, that makes sense to me. Whether it's, you know, 51, 53, the mix will determine as we progress across, across the course of the season, whether it's 51, 55, but they'll be in that hunt, in yeah. that group. Will one of these teams get everything to come together? All the role players fit together. The chemistry's awesome. The team stays healthy. And they rattle off 64 wins. Vegas isn't going to put that number uh, 64 out there. seems really high. Anything else, you're in the mix. I don't look at teams that win 56 or 58 and think, boy, you're just going to batter people in the playoffs. I mean, they might end up doing it, but... It's August and games are a ways off. But as of now, you're where you want to be. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The Detroit Tigers' Miguel Cabrera becomes the 28th member of the 500 Home Run Club after accomplishing the feat in the Tigers' 5-3 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. In 11 innings, 500. I know the water's been watered, the number's been watered down, and people cast an eye and all that at steroids and home run totals, but doesn't this one feel pretty legit, PK? Oh, for sure, yeah. I I think 500 is a great number. 38 year old Miguel Cabrera getting there. Start working on that Hall of Fame speech. Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, they're not going to the Hall of Fame. 18 straight losses beaten by the Braves 3-1. to Major League Baseball record is 21 straight. And the Braves, 13 straight wins on the road, 9 straight overall. They are surging in front and taking control of the National League East. It's going they, uh, well for yeah. the Braves right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Were they 13-2 and two in the last 15 or something? Yeah, and up five games on the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Phillies now. That's uh, five games in late August. That's, it's not done, but that's a it's a good place to be. I agree. The Giants beat the A's 2-1. to one. They do it again. Donovan Solano. Pinch hit homer in the eighth inning. Two-run shot. They beat the A's 2-1. to one. They've got 80 wins now. First major league team to 80 wins. And they pick up a game on the Mets, who the or pick up a game on the Dodgers because the Mets handle the Dodgers easily, seven to two. That ends a nine-game win streak for the Dodgers, so they sit two and a half games behind the Giants as those two duel it out. Yeah, yeah, the Giants, man. It kind of reminds me of uh, Bruce Bochy. He put up whoever he put up would get uh, get a pinch hit double when they needed it to clear the bases. Always the right decision. Travis Ishikawa, guys that you barely ever heard of, but came up there and did a thing. Marco Scudero and then they'd bring, uh, what is his name? Jeremy Affelt out of the bullpen to get a strikeout and then he'd go away for a couple of weeks. It seems like uh, what they got going here, Wade hits the home run on Saturday in the ninth, down one. Sunday in the eighth, down one. Maybe that's uh, set up for again, which would be just absolutely amazing. The Reds now have the last wild card berth. They win. The Phillies beat the Padres 7-4. The Reds pull in front of the Padres in the wild card race. And so Cincinnati getting it done. And, of course, that's the last spot because whoever doesn't win the Giants-Dodger battle will presumably be the home team in that wild card game. 
Bees blow out the Reno Aces 11-1. to Same two teams playing a doubleheader. No game Saturday, so they're going to make it up. 5 o'clock today at Smith's Ballpark. Get your tickets at slbs.com. You can listen to Steve Klauke with the call here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm, really, I'm looking at, called up a jazz site, look at the schedule. Yeah. Single game tickets go on sale at 10 a.m. today. It says right on the top here. It's go time now that they got a schedule. Yeah. So that's, uh, well, it's, it's good for anybody. I mean, you can be trying to, uh, but if you want to see a specific o- opponent, especially if you root for the opposing team. Or you got family coming in for Christmas. Yeah, any, you know when somebody's birthday is, and that's the reason to go, whatever it is. Yeah. Angel star Mike Trout said he still aims to return to the lineup this season despite a lingering calf injury that has had him out since May 17th. I'm just trying to get back, Trout said. Obviously, we're running out of time here, but my main focus is to get back on the field no matter when it is. And the Athletics are proceeding with parallel paths, planning new ballparks in Oakland and Las Vegas. Team President Dave Cavall is planning another trip to Vegas soon, traveling there every couple of weeks, he said, to evaluate the options with that potential spot. Vegas going to come up with money for another dome stadium? Well, Dave, they want to play there. Dave they will. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Another woulda, coulda, shoulda. RSL scores first, but gives up two late goals to the Colorado Rapids and loses. RSL. Had back-to-back wins, was going for a third straight, but couldn't make the Albert Rusnak goal stand up. One goal waved off, a penalty waved off, but two or three other glorious chances go unconverted as well. So they get beat by Colorado, who now, despite awful preseason predictions for the Rapids, is in third place in the West. You never can trail. The one thing I've noticed in MLS preseason, you just don't know. And Doof Boy over there on the other side of the glass, we don't want him to travel because then he would miss midweek shows. And that's far more important to me than him we calling some soccer. We things no. that could make it so we could still do the show. No, no, no. They leave first thing in the morning. No. No, no, no. I know he wants to be a kid again and go on the road. That was all fun when we did it when we were younger. But um, now we're, we're, we're too old for that. So, no. Keep it the way it is. This is the show. The show is the number one priority. Not your stupid soccer. That technology is only for PK. Apparently. Well, I don't take flights. Well, I might take different flights. No, you won't. You want to fly with the boys. That's the whole part of it. Be with the boys. Be out on the road. That's the fun part of it. Get out of town. I only fly with one other person when I fly commercial. And if that happens again, and I don't know whether it will, if it happened again, I might be on a charter anyway. So there you go. Then you wouldn't be able to control it either way. Right. And on the <laughs> charter, on the charter, I'd make it back, but I might miss the one going out. Ding, ding, ding. Demir Krylock plays in the MLS All-Star Game Wednesday. RSL is back at it in Vancouver on Sunday, although Demir will not be. He picked up another yellow card, so he'll be suspended. So that's Sunday night, their next game. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Kurt Cragthorpe will join us. He's covering Utah golf for Fairways Media in the Salt Lake Tribune. And he's at the Utah Open. Spent some time around Tony Romo. We will talk with him coming up at 8 o'clock. Tony Romo with a lot of football opinions. Mark Anderson, sports reporter for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, will join us 
at 9 o'clock. PK, how many different topics do you want to hit with him? There's a list. Well, he had a big interview with uh, Klyavkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12. They have a Vegas connection. Obviously, Mark's been in Vegas for a long, long time, and, and the commissioner worked in Vegas for many, many years, so he had that connection. And I saw that interview. Uh, the Review Journal printed it, and I read it. I read it to you. And then the route throughout the weekend, I think I saw it Friday morning, throughout the weekend, I saw it referenced by many, many other news organizations. I don't know if we talked about it on the air, but I know we talked about it off the air as far as uh, Pac-12 expansion, where Klyovkov said that uh, a lot of the teams and universities that you would expect to contact us have, which we assume would be the remaining Big 8 of the Big 12, and then also he said, plus the ones you'd be surprised by, which obviously just soared antennas racing to the sky, you know, what does that mean? And, and so I, I haven't spoken to Mark yet, but I'm guessing that uh, based uh, putting uh, pieces together that he knows Klavkov better than most because he was uh, Klavkov was a prominent figure in Vegas for a number of years. And Mark Anderson has been with the Review Journal for as long as I've known him, which is 30 years. <laughs> he knows all things about the UNLV Rebels and the Mountain West. He's got this big Pac-12 piece, and we're going to have to ask him if Vegas will really pony up for a, another dome stadium and move another team from Oakland to Vegas. So. And the Pac-12 has a significant presence in Vegas. You know, they're never, I don't know if they'll ever invite UNLV. Conference football title game? It reminds me of BYU with the Pac-12. I don't know if they'll ever invite them, but they certainly have a significant presence. presence because they play a bunch of their teams in probably all of their sports, and obviously football being the highest profile. Like, for instance, this year they got five, so it's the same type of association. They, never, they may, never, may never have a formal association, but they certainly have a connection and a direct connection. And so, you know, it's important for them to keep the Vegas, and they want to go there, and I think it's a smart move. Uh, to establish there, that's where we're going to have all of our stuff. You don't necessarily need to have a team from Vegas. It doesn't matter. I don't think anybody cares. But you know, the conference basketball, the last couple of years, obviously, is, is, is an unusual situation. But they were building something in Vegas, especially compared. I covered Pac-10 back when in the form. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Absolutely. It's night and day. Yeah. And I think they had the the first tournament was in the Staples Center. And then I didn't even go to it. But the first one I went to was in Vegas, which I think was the second year. And they have to. They've been building something. So Vegas is an important destination for those guys. You're gonna have the Pac-12 tournament, obviously. You're gonna have the Pac-12 title game, and the Vegas Bowl has been redone. So it's gonna be Pac-12 versus SEC. And we're all expecting to see more of these early season football games, uh, like we're seeing BYU and Arizona this year. So again, Pac-12 team involved. So we'll talk about all of that with Mark Anderson, sports reporter for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, coming up at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. The question of the day is next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
what would have to happen for Donovan Mitchell to win the NBA Most Valuable Player? He would have to go full on, I am the team now. I mean, <laughs> I don't see Donovan scoring 30 points a game on this team. Certainly capable of it, doing it. I'm not talking about capability. Right, I know. I'm talking about role and system and what makes the Jazz successful. The Jazz aren't the type of team that get out of the way on a missed free throw so Russell Westbrook can get the rebound. <laughs> That's not exactly their philosophy. Yeah. He could do it, but it wouldn't be good for the team, which is the whole idea behind being a most valuable player. I don't think the MVP always goes to the most valuable player. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah. We're counting you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on The Zone Sports Network. Six days to the first college, no, five days to the first college football games. Southern, no. Southern Utah will be playing uh, at San Jose on the Week Zero Saturday games. That is correct. Ten days to the Ute opener with Weber State and 12 days to BYU's opener. But suddenly, the season finale is in the news. We're taking them 12 games at a time, PK. Why? Well, that's cl- Mel Kuyper said to. That's clearly the biggest game on BYU's schedule. <laughs> I see what you did there. Now that the rivalry games, you know. Well, I asked him rivalries. about that, and he said, well, yeah, you're talking about the out-of-state game? Yeah. So, this is a huge game. I mean, it's a, the most prominent program on their schedule. Obviously, man. Mel Kuyper, draft guru. Oh, Mel, he's just an NFL college guy. Mel Kuyper says USC will clobber BYU. Why so disrespectful for a team coming off such a great season? Yeah. He just looked at them and basically said they so poo-poo. Old school right there. Uh, That quote's a couple years old. Last time the game was played. Uttered by the Ravens' backup quarterback. Oh, for now. We never gonna lose to them. They they so poo poo. <laughs> y'all can tweet y'all can tweet that. <laughs> y'all can tweet that. <laughs> I love Tyler Huntley. <laughs> I just thought he was just a great success story. Kid coming out of his element all the way across the country, stays here, graduates, plays well. Wins. Yeah. What a story, man. I think they should hold that up as they go out and recruit around the country, particularly far-flung places. Look what you can do here. Look what he did. This is a great story, you know. And he, and he got in trouble. He dropped that F-bomb again in the Oregon. It's bleeping embarrassing. Oregon straight. We lost. That's embarrassing. Yeah, excuse my language, but... <laughs> okay. okay, guys, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, thanks. Bye. I got that. Covering the team on the road that only you can get on the road, as DJ would say, that uh, sitting there in that situation, that was his sophomore year. They went up to Eugene and got slaughtered, and they had lost four straight, as he said, and it was embarrassing. And it was embarrassing. He lost it for a moment. And I asked him, like, in a week or two, I said, hey, man, did did anybody uh, get, get with you? Anybody from the school? Yeah, I had three talks. <laughs> you know, and he came, he wasn't the greatest interview. He became a little reluctant. There's one time um, in this very building, there was uh, some event 
I mean, it may have been that April uh, with the state of the sport thing. And he had a young lady with him and came up to me and she was interested in getting into media, television and all that. And he was there and he looked so sharp. He looked like a million bucks. And he was asking me and she was there, you know, how, what, what, what do you think? Uh, how, what should I be concentrating on as I was getting ready to, to, to move past the elective stuff and into my major? And I was just so impressed with him. And it was away from, you know, football interview type it yeah. was conversation and i just enjoyed it and it wasn't very long but he came up to me in the building there and we were talking about it and the young lady he had was very nice lovely and i don't know whatever happened but i really root for a kid like tyler huntley to get out of his element down there in south florida come all the way over here and succeed and exceed succeed extremely high and then they go on undrafted and make the nfl I'm a huge fan of Tyler Huntley's, and that's part of the robbery. They so poo-poo. I mean, I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> I think know. we know what it means. I, I don't. I've never heard that expression. I know, uh, uh, and they'll never lose to them. It uh, puts the onus on the uh, Utes to carry that out. I was with Monson the other night, and he says, do you, do you think that they'll ever beat Utah again? I said, yeah. Of course they will. There's mm-hmm. no never in sports. I hate it when people say never. I just automatically go against never. Yeah, but after you're dead, it is never. <laughs> okay. And I don't know about you, well, guess, but I'm one day closer to death. Sure. Now, despite well, your haircut, you look very young, but if still. You're, if you're going to keel over in the next week, then it's never. But you keep playing, stuff happens. I didn't think San Diego State was ever going to be UCLA. That seemed like never. And they finally got them. It's a big moment in your life, huh? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Was I enjoyed it. it. What does it mean now? <laughs> ah, not much. Doesn't matter, but it's a football game. For three hours, I enjoyed it. You're right. It's not like people start mailing me checks. <laughs> it's not that. Uh, we get so worked up about this stuff. What does it mean down the line? <laughs> not much. But in the moment, it's fun. Uh, so certainly they will. But I was surprised. You know, I got up Saturday morning and was going to uh, play some golf later that day. And so I went to the gym in the morning. And I was flicking around, and, and I heard Mel, and he was breaking down a Pac-12. That's what caught my eye, or ear, in this case, since it was radio, uh, that they're breaking down a Pac-12. And I'm always interested to see what national people say about the Pac-12, because you wonder how much knowledge they have about well, the Pac-12. And particularly he, he's a Baltimore guy, obviously. And so that's as East Coast as you can get. It's in the bottom of the Northeast Corridor, which, you know, you know, it's a few hours south of New York, but still all in that same area. And they had decent knowledge. They picked Devin Lloyd as a breakout player. A player, you, it's funny because a player that you haven't heard of that you will hear of. Now, certainly we've heard of Devin Lloyd. Yes. I but think around he's the, the best player in the state. Right. But around the conference and outside of this side of the country, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. they haven't heard of him. But they're gonna. Well, they should because, have by now because I think Mel Kiper. I, I give a pass because of last year, right? And Mel Kiper, I think, is evaluating this, saying he's probably a second day guy. But if things go right, he could be day one, round one. Now, maybe not. Maybe he ends up being. He certainly has the characteristics, right? You look at him, he screams, body size, NFL linebacker. So we've got way. some of the comments here. You would you would predict, right? Um, 
Eldon, you know, who cares what Mel says? Play the game. I um, care what Mel says. <laughs> Dave says, cons- He's Mel. Consider the source. I'm Let's considering the source. I, I That's am, why I am it's too. noteworthy. I am, and I'll get to why. Rick, because BYU is a JV team. Rick, you're just trying to hurt people, Rick. Come on, Rick. Larry, because everyone knows last year was a giant asterisk. Yes, BYU technically finished 11th. All it took was a once-in-every-100-year pandemic. They played a dozen garbage G5 teams. Boise State's garbage? They were that night. They lost their best player in a decade. That's why, Todd says. There's something to that. I think it comes down to Mel Kuyper analyzes a lot of these teams off the NFL guys on the roster. And SC's loaded with NFL guys right now. And BYU just sent a bunch of guys, and he thinks at best they're a year away. So the other day I was talking to somebody in the program, and he was telling me about, you know, they get a lot of NFL attention. People come through and, mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. So they have people that deal with that. I mean, Kalani can't deal with everything, right, obviously. So they've got a bunch of people. Every, every program has it. Right. So he's telling me that this one guy told him that uh, in the West, as far as just physical appearance, Mm -hmm. what looks like an NFL player, depending on what position you're playing. Coming off the the bus or coming out of the locker room, Mm -hmm. who just looks the part. Central casting, baby. Yeah, yeah. He said that he was told by NFL people that BY of all the teams, and I don't know all the teams that they had looked over, but the, for this year, they had the second most physical appearance NFL look, second best of all the teams in the West. Now, had they seen both Oregon and USC? I don't know right. all the teams. Because those were the two I'm going to default to. All we're hearing is about Oregon landing all these four-star guys. And he said they were second best and the number one team, which obviously lead me to believe who's number one. He said for this season, NFL-wise, Sun Devils. Really? Yeah. Yes! Devils! Devils! Well, they're due. It's like every five or six years. <laughs> they, have, they win nine, ten games. Have your peak year. Yeah, and then, and then something happens. As I said, it's always something university. That's what the ASU stands for. <laughs> always something university? Yeah, yeah. So just when you think, yeah, okay, now we got it, there's always something that gets in the way. That's the point of always something. Now, yeah. did you did you borrow that or did you come up with that on your own? Because you came up with that on your own. Oh, Trademark. It's, it's been out there for oh, years. It is. Okay. Yeah, it's not, not anything new. Uh, so no, it's been that ought there. to be in a T-shirt. Been out there for thirty years. Well, it's not a good thing; it's a negative thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a T-shirt Arizona so, fans yeah. are more likely to wear. Yeah. So, uh, so take that for what it's worth. I don't know what it's worth, but I'm just telling you what I was told. So, uh, and I haven't evaluated. I'm not an NFL talent evaluator. So, I wonder if that I mean, refers to the size. Or the speed, because I, I got to say Notre Dame, Notre Dame coming out of the locker room. I don't know what game it was. I saw it, but 
Brian Kelly standing in front of that team and just like, wow. Notre Dame, Notre Dame coming out. You big. should see them coming out of they, mass. They are enormous. Obviously lacking a little team speed, which is why, you know, they're getting beaten semifinals, not in finals, but that size is why they're in semifinals. But coming out of mass. Yeah. When they're dressed up, they have mm-hmm. a big thing. They walk from the church, big sidewalk over to the locker room. It's really cool. And people line up by the dozens deep to cheer them on as they walk from Mass to the stadium. Everybody. Colleges have all these traditions, whatever they might be. You know, the NFL doesn't have it. The NFL has the game, obviously. The game is far superior. But the traditions and all the stuff, and we've talked about that and all that, pomp and pageantry and all those words. And one of the things Notre Dame did, because they they usually, home games are, uh, what, 3.30 their time? Uh, I guess they got that contract with, what, NBC? Mm -hmm. So they're all set. And uh, so they just walk. They go to Mass in the morning and then walk across. It's very impressive you can get if you're a Notre Dame fan. I wouldn't call myself a Notre Dame fan, but I would certainly call myself a Notre Dame follower. Growing up Catholic in the East, it's a big, big deal, Notre Dame. So I, I'm, I certainly watch them play for sure. So you heard this. <clears throat> I did not. I am curious the way the conversation around this goes. When Mel Kiper says beat USC, quote, will clobber, close quote, that BYU. Was, that was the quote, yeah. Was the discussion more about BYU has fallen a long way or no. this USC team is loaded and is going to be annihilating people? No, it was a people? Pac-12 conversation. Right. So this is more about USC is loaded and going to annihilate people. They were talking about he was going back and forth. Mel was going back and forth with himself on who to pick to win the South. That was the conversation. And he said he wanted so very much to go with the Devils and I think probably there's a little bias there because if you have any ESPN relationship that you were dealing with the NFL, you had a connection to Herm Edwards. And Herm, Herm Edwards is a lovable, likable dude. There's no doubt so about that. So he wants right? to pick his guy. That, that's my interpretation of, of it. You know, But, I mean, it has, they could, if, if they can get past all losing these coaches and everything and the impending NCAA fraction, infractions that are no doubt coming down the line uh, as far as that goes, then uh, if you can get pa- if they can get past it, I don't mean the voter, if the team can get past it, they've got a shot. And I don't know that they can. This is a highly unusual situation, losing coaches like this in training camp. Can't recall it ever happening. So obviously they're trying to lessen the penalty that awaits them. Mel was saying that he really wanted to pick them, but in the end... He did go with SC, and then once that conversation went went that direction, then it became all about SC, and his co-host was bringing up their schedule and talking about, obviously, they play Notre Dame, and this year, I think it's due to be played in uh, earlier because it's they play it earlier in the season in October when it's in South Bend, and then they push it back when they play in the Coliseum, and then it's reversed for Stanford. Right. Uh, The West Coast game is always Thanksgiving weekend. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about that schedule, and then the co-host obviously had the schedule up. And and plus they miss Oregon and Washington, right? 
Yeah, they yes, the which is, I mean, he doesn't know. I know. <laughs> Why did they set up a schedule so they miss those two in the same year? It's not brain surgery here. Those two's history versus Oregon State, Washington State history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the conference does itself no favors here. Now, well, maybe it does, though. I disagree. That's the one thing that's been hot. I disagree 100%. That's the one thing that's been holding them out is they haven't had a team with one or zero losses. So having them miss those two games does the conference a huge favor if SC can take care of business against these other teams because that's exactly what you want. You don't care how you get in as long as you get in. And so not having to play those two tough teams, which you assume one of them would be on the road, that would be a better advantage to get the opportunity to be undefeated. I just don't think it is any good to have to miss them both in the same. No, year. I think it does more. Should have been offset over no, eight years. No. You're going to miss everybody the same number of times. That so you so with that in mind, do it that way. Put your best foot forward. Give your your primary teams the best opportunity, and that gives them the best opportunity. It's actually genius. You couldn't. You can't multiply the favors that it actually gives them. I think now that you've thought about it, you're on my side. It sounded good at the time, but as far as what they're trying to do for the playoff, absolutely. They should never have to play them. Miss them every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, wait till we get to 16 and 20 team league. If your big goal <laughs> is to get a team in the playoff, then do it. Rig it however you want. Yeah, and Klavkov, that's what he's been saying, that that's their big priority. And so they're going down that road. So the schedule was favorable, and then they were talking about, and then the co-host said, yeah, they have to play BYU at the end of the season. That's a potentially intriguing game. And then Mel responded emphatically, adamantly, unequivocally. They will clobber BYU. And I thought, that is complete and total disrespect for a rising Intermountain independent program. BYU is on the rise. They're like the Phoenix. Farmington High? Risen from the dead. Ah. Built out of nothing in nowhere, much like the very capital of Arizona. Into a thriving megalopolis. I don't think Bronco would appreciate the way you're characterizing the end of his regime. Who gives a crap about Bronco? You do. Bronco was sitting on a yacht somewhere. <laughs> he took the money and run. <laughs> a yacht in Charlottesville? No, you go a little east. They got this thing called the Atlantic the Ocean. Atlantic Ocean. Much warmer. Virginia Beach, baby. I might add. So, Bronco? cares about Bronco? Mike says I'm not a BYU fan per se. I'll quit with the German. But it's French. But it's Mel <laughs> Kuyper you're talking about. It's Mel. He's simply Mel. You got Madonna. You got Rihanna. You got Mel. Very few people known by their first name. When you think of Mel, who else do you think of? Mel Kuyper. He's so famous now, they dropped the junior. Nobody says Mel Kuyper Jr. It's just Mel Kuyper. We know exactly. The junior has gotten lopped off. When we come back, 
more college football. And Kurt Krakdorp is on the way to talk pro football, covering Utah golf for Fairways Media and the Salt Lake Tribune. He was at the Utah Open. Tony Roman was there talking football and playing golf. Kurt's going to be here at the top of the hour. And Mark Anderson, sports reporter for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, on his conversation with the Pac-12 commissioner at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. CBS Sports College football writer Chip Patterson. Three division championships in the last six years, knocking on the door of the college football playoff before falling to Oregon. I think that we have to look at Kyle Whittingham's time in the Pac-12 and Utah's success, particularly over the last half decade or so, and say that they need to be on your short list of contenders just anytime you step in. I think Charlie Brewer is going to have a fantastic season. I think because of the improved play at the quarterback position, we can see Andy Ludwig's offense produce at a level more similar to what they were able to do in 2019 with Tyler Huntley. I don't think Utah's going to be undefeated, but I think that Utah can win the Pac-12 South in just doubling down on calling my shot, saying that they could take down Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. So did you get in Kyle's ear and give him that advice? Kyle, don't play games with the starting quarterback this year. It's Weber State. No, I don't give him advice on football. <laughs> that's not football. <laughs> that's dealing with the media and fans. Okay, you're right. I, I, I think you absolutely I, wouldn't give him advice on football. You absolutely would not do that. I know that. I can buy what you're saying, uh, but no, I did not uh, in this particular oh, case. Oh, because he really echoed you. I we, mean, he, we've talked about stuff over he the do, years. He doesn't want to dismiss Weber State. Number one, he just generally doesn't want to. Number two, obviously, he's got a history and a relationship with Jay, with Jay Hill, the head coach, and he doesn't want to embarrass him. But it's also clear, if you have to play games and disguise your <laughs> quarterback when you think you're one of the better teams in the Pac-12, if not the best, and he's been very upbeat, very bullish on what his team is capable of. It's not done until it's done, and he knows that as well as anyone. But he does open the door for all kinds of speculation about how good this team can be with his comments during this camp, which he could easily tamp down because he's closed the camp and none of us are seeing it. So if you're playing a big sky team, even the team that has been winning or sharing the big sky title year after year, I don't think, is there anybody left? Well, maybe there is with, with Mission. There might be somebody who played a year and didn't win the Big Sky title, but they got four in a row now. Yeah, I think even beyond that, I think Kyle Whittingham is one of the top most five secure coaches in the country in terms of job security. So he doesn't have to say anything that he doesn't want to say. He doesn't have to sell. A lot of times they've got to sell stuff to their fans, and to the administration. He does not have to do any of that. Mark Harlan is 100% behind Kyle Whittingham. That I know, literally know. And so when he speaks, he speaks from a feeling of his perception of truth as he sees it. Truth is its not necessarily an absolute, unless it's a mathematical equation or some absolute fact you know, I stole this candy bar or whatever. Uh, the rest of it, a lot of gray area. It's truth as you see it. And this is what he says. 
because this is what he sees and what he believes. And he doesn't have to sell anything because he's not worried about getting fired. He will retire as the University of Utah football coach. I'm about 90% sure and something that you can never be 100% sure of. Uh, so his job status is not in question. So he speaks highly because that's what he believes. I think he understands that as you look around, I mean, Ohio State announced their quarterback. And so CJ it's, it, it's, it's, it's somewhat routine now. Uh, CSU, or uh, not CSU, Colorado announced their quarterback. Now, a lot of that was because of an injury to another kid. So they're going with the younger guy, Lewis, because of the injury. But they've made it known this is our guy, right? So. You go ahead and say it. In, pl- in many cases, we already know. I mean, uh, Clay Helton's not going to come out and make a statement because we already know it's Slovis. Uh, you know, at Oregon, they got a kid Thompson battling the kid Brown, and we'll see how it happens. Wilcox, Garbers is our guy. We already know that. And they did do it when Troy Taylor was here. They announced uh, Tyler Huntley. The world did not end <laughs> at that point when they announced it. So uh, go ahead and... I think in this situation this year, they should announce it. And I'm not sure what... I think BYU is going to announce it too, and it's going to be Jaron Hall. Uh, so that'll that'll be the start. The, the thing about Utah is this year, they're going to announce it. Or if they just put out the depth chart. If he doesn't announce it today, then they put out the depth chart on Thursday, one week ahead of the ball game. I can't guarantee you, though, that that announcement or that starter named will be the starter for BYU. And I'm not talking about injuries. Injuries obviously could change everything. They are, they're always there. Sure. They're always there. But I'm not talking no about that. I think it's legitimately close enough, from what I understand, it's legitimately close enough to where a guy Kyle's not lo- going to say we're a two-quarterback system. But a guy could lose a job in the Weaver State game? No, somebody could win the job. A fine line, but I get your point. You keep I going just, here's on the problem. Cam Rising because Bentley lost the, the job last year. He Bentley did not lose the job. Rising won the job. So it's going to be a two-quarterback system then? No. You can't win the job, I wouldn't think, getting in in the third quarter when the game's blown open. So they're going to have to play both quarterbacks in the first half for that to be true. I don't know that. And I, what's the difference? I don't think Weber is going to clear the bench in the second half, so it's not like you're going up and they don't have that many guys. Their level, you don't have the yeah, same amount the, of guys. The, the pressure's still off. Whatever pressure there is at kickoff is off if you're up by five or six touchdowns in the second half. Well, yeah, but if that's, gonna, if that's the case, then then the, the guy won't lose. If he looks sharp, he's not going to lose his job. Yeah. Or go the third game then. If you don't like the second game, go the third game. Oh, I do like that. I like that a lot more. Okay. All right. If there is a... But it, I just don't think... Kyle's going to let the second quarterback play meaningful snaps unless the first quarterback State. has I mean, failed what, to perform. What is a mean, meaningful snap? You should be able to turn around, hand it off, and pulverize those guys. They're just, just the level of difference 
There's a few guys there, certainly on Weber State, who could play for Utah, BYU. No, no, no there's no State, question about Weber it. Weber State's put some guys yeah, in the NFL, right? So, so we, I'm, I'm not. I'm, it, this is the level of football. This has nothing to do with Weber State. Weber State is one of the best that the Big Sky has to offer. And Jay Hill is one of the finest coaches I've ever been around. And it doesn't matter. I don't care what level. So he's proven that the product out on the field speaks for itself. But nevertheless, this is a high-quality caliber Pac-12 team. So maybe it's not the first, second game. If you don't want second game, fine. Third game, fourth game. Because the point I'm making is it's legitimately close. That's more the point rather than who starts the second game or the third game. The point is it's legitimately Legitimately close. close. And there's a saying, when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. But this is the exception to that saying. That saying might be true most of the time. Oh, I never and bought coaches, that. I never bought that expression. Coaches, Norm Chow did. <laughs> he he bought it, but this no, he, exception. He, he bought it when they didn't have two good quarterbacks. That's the only time. That's the exception. If right. you don't have two good quarterbacks, then that exception applies. And this is the exception. But I think that the Utah number of quality quarterbacks. quarterbacks since Norm Chow coached when he has said gone that way up. Yes, has gone way up. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, Kurt Cragthorpe. Covering Utah golf for Fairway Media and the Salt Lake Tribune. And Kurt was at the Utah Open with Tony Romo. So we will talk football and golf. Tony had plenty to say. We'll talk with Kurt next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome Kurt Cragthorpe back to the show. Covering Utah golf for Fairways Media and the Salt Lake Tribune. Kurt, good morning. Good morning. You can... You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave, Kurt. Yeah, you know, it's actually been a good uh, phase of, of my career to have some golf to latch on to. So I've, I've appreciated the opportunity. I, I, it's either an ability or a character flaw that I have <laughs> the uh, capacity to turn something that a lot of people don't care that much about into something that I really care about, and that's... Uh, <laughs> The Utah golf community. I, I have to mention that PK's favorite editor at the Tribune once once said uh, that Jay Drew and I should just email our golf stories to each other because we were the only people that read them. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some truth to that, but uh, so I do have uh, twenty seven thousand subscribers to Fairways Magazine four times a year. So got that in my favor. Is that that's, when it comes out four times okay. a year? Yeah. Yeah, so it, yeah. It's, it, it's it's pretty rare to still have a, a print magazine produced yeah. by a local golf association. Yeah. So I read it cover to cover when it comes out. Well, that's that's that is the one thing about it. I mean, people, it's a target audience. People, right. people, you have to have a UGA handicap card to get the magazine. So, right. so people are going to be into it. So yeah. So I I acknowledge that it's a niche audience, but uh, it, it does keep me in the business for sure. Kurt joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. So, Tony Romo, that gave the Utah Open a little celebrity appeal right there. And uh, the on the Monday press conference, I think that that stuff's been aired pretty well over the course of the week. Um as far as his comments on Zach 
and his no comment on the Saints, basically. I think I know what's going to happen, but Coach wouldn't like it if I let it out. Uh, did he expand any more? How many chances did you have to talk to him over the course of the week? Yeah, I, I was more, again, interested in the, the golf aspect of it, so I really didn't talk much football with him. But but it was fun to watch him play golf. Uh, you know, the jazz players like uh, Kyle Korver and Darren Williams have played in the Utah before and, and not even come close to making the cut. But, but Romo, besides having some name brand appeal, and he did bring some fans out there, and, and even other golfers were interested in how he was doing, he, he can legitimately play. He, he doesn't. It's kind of fun to watch him because he doesn't have golfer mannerisms. Uh, you, you can tell he's kind of new to the game, but but what he does bring is a athletic ability. He's a in person. He's a big, strong-looking guy, and uh, and he gets the golf ball around the course and and uh, and really competes. I mean, he he just battled on every shot for three days and. Opened with a 68 and then followed with 71, 73. But, but you can tell he was into it. Uh, the, the one snapshot I clearly recall is he was playing in the group behind Daniel Summerhays on Friday, and Danny's group was finishing up on 18. And I look up and there's a fourth guy on the green, and it's Romo. Almost uh, right when they were putting out, because he he had walked up to kind of survey the green, so you can tell that that he's into it and. Uh, he played hard and he played well. Why was he there? What's he trying to accomplish? You know, he he's just a, an amateur golfer, and I, I I laugh about the fact that here's a guy who makes seventeen million a year from CBS. He's going to cash a hundred and eighty merchant dollar hundred eighty dollar merchandise certificate at the Riverside Pro Shop. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he's he's an amateur golfer, and and he and these guys who who play at that level just like to test themselves. He played in the Texas State Open, which is kind of the equivalent of the Utah Open, barely missed the cut in that. And so, yeah, he just he just wanted to play here. There's, there's a guy, a local guy named B.J. Staten, who uh, was from Dallas and, and uh, now lives in Cottonwood Heights because he met his wife uh, at the, what's now the Corn Ferry Tours Utah Championship, which is a cool story in itself because she was working in a, Pro Ten Pro Am promotional booth, and he chatted her up, and the next thing you know, he's married and living in Cottonwood Heights. But, but that's the connection to Romo coming here, and uh, and I think I think with Ryan Smith, the Jazz owner, who I also had a chance to watch play during the week, I think there's some uh, possibilities to bring in more athletes with some name recognition like this, and uh, spice up the event a little more in the future. Okay, so it really goes to uh, how good golfers have to be at every level because obviously you got the PGA Tour, and then you can watch the Corn Ferry Tour, and those guys aren't at the same level, although they are at a pretty spectacular level. And then you go to the Utah Open, and there'll be some players maybe who are either getting ready for the, the Champions Tour or have uh, – you know, some type of ability to play in the Corn Ferry Tour, but there are a lot of golfers who don't. And so you kind of see these levels. How much do guys blow you away, even when they're a long way away from the Corn Ferry Tour level? Yeah, that's a great observation. And that's what really fascinates me about pro golf is, is just how hard it is and how many guys there are. The, the, the guy who won, Derek Fribbs from Colorado, is a classic example. He has to go through the pre-qualifying stage 
of the corn ferry tour process uh, coming up, I think, next week probably. And then if he makes it through that, there's three more stages if you were to get to the corn ferry tour. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, he shoots 23 under par for three days at Riverside. And uh, it, it's just amazing how many guys like that there are in the world just, just trying to find places to play. And uh, and that's that's why I, I'm so intrigued by guys like Patrick Fishburn from Ogden and BYU is on the Cone Ferry Tour trying to make it. And then, and then there's different levels to that. The Canadian Tour, it's kind of complicated this year because, because of the pandemic. There's a Canadian Tour version in Canada and a Canadian Tour version in the United States. But, but like this past week, there were Utah high school or college graduates playing on, on all these different tours. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's kind of like baseball in a way, but, but it's more literally the the scores you shoot gets you there or don't get you there, and and you and in terms of these qualifying schools, yet you basically have one chance a year, and they didn't even have it last year, so it's it's doubly important for a lot of guys that uh, miss that opportunity to take advantage of it this year. But yeah, to your point, it. The depth of talent in the golf world is just astounding to me. So what's Summer Hayes doing? Because I thought he was retired, but he's back. What's going on there? Yeah, he, he jokes about that. That he's in, he's in the same sentence with Michael Jordan and Brett Favre of guys who don't know how to retire. But but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I think that he discovered, as as your wife knows from decades of teaching of of how demanding that profession is. Uh, he, he spent uh, last year as a full-time teacher and boys golf coach at Davis High School, and, and realized, okay, that's that's an actual job. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he can he, he has the ability financially and and uh, in other ways of, of his life to kind of dabble in whatever he wants to do. But I I, I think he is rejuvenated as a player a little bit. And I, I, Part of the reason that he that he quit at the time was he he didn't really have good status on the Corn Ferry Tour. He couldn't get into that many tournaments. But then the the, the irony of, of what he thought was going to be his last tournament at Oak Ridge in in 2020 was that he he tied for second and, and gained some more access to tournaments. and And now he thinks he's actually going to go to the final stage of the, the qualifying tournament this year and, and see if he can just at least widen his options and, and have the ability to, to get into more tournaments because he obviously still can play. He, he made the cut in the last regular season Corn Ferry event in Omaha and then obviously played well Riverside time for third this week. So I couldn't tell because I saw parts of an interview, so maybe if I'd seen the whole interview, it would have made more sense to me. But I was wondering if he was alluding to he didn't really want to do the grind anymore and if that part of the grind you didn't want to do was really the travel, is that a big factor, or am I misreading that? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, he still has uh, four children at home, and the oldest being 13. And so he, did, he doesn't want to be a truly a full-time golfer. So, so what he would ideally like to do, I think, is, is get full status on the Corn Ferry Tour, but, but just play the events he wants to. And then if it goes well, someday maybe he could get back to the PGA Tour level. But... But I, I think as much as anything, he just wants to have the ability to go play when he wants wants to or, or, or feels like it. And uh, and 
but just just not to pursue it week after week because that that is a grind. So the life of Kurt Craigthorpe has been an interesting one to say the least. And you step aside, uh, what? Oh, well, about a year and a half ago, a little longer than that. After the what was it? The Alamo Bowl. And, right. and last year, there wasn't really a football season. Well, this year, it looks like we're going to have one, fingers crossed and all that stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts about not being involved and doing all that? Are you going to sit at home and, and write yourself uh, something up and email it to yourself? How are you going to handle that? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and you know what I find is really interesting is people ask how retirement is, and they, they pretty much want a one-word answer. <laughs> kind of like how you doing? Yeah, yeah, that gotcha. kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, uh, to the contrary, I I could talk for hours about it because I cycle through all these psychological phases. <laughs> not not to turn uh, your radio show into Fraser Crane, which would. Uh, and we did talk about it a, a few minutes more than a one-word answer <laughs> at uh, Joe Baird's retirement party. So I know where you're going with yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, so it's, it's it's actually been a very fascinating segment of my life. And but to your point, uh, the example that comes to mind immediately is as the Jazz were playing in the playoffs this past spring and summer. I I, it came, I came to the realization that if they played in the NBA Finals, that would just about kill me because <laughs> I, I would have been so left out. So. So, so now I'm dreading the youth being in the Rose Bowl without me. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's funny how your mind compartmentalizes things. You, you, you think about being on the campuses and being in the, in the press box on game day and kind of getting that adrenaline. And you forget about the, the Tuesday nights in early November when you're standing in, on the plaza outside the youth practice field waiting to do interviews and, uh, and, and all the, the daily things that go into it. And so it's so... Yeah, it's, it's, you can't exactly pick and choose. You can't just do the fun stuff and and uh, skip the rest of it. But but yeah, but to your point, there there definitely is an element of feeling left out at times. So one of your theories that I had never heard until I heard you break it out, and I think we were standing outside of practice somewhere, killing time, and I don't even know where it was. <clears throat> but you um. You dropped something about people from Utah, whether it's individual or teams, always finish second. And maybe it was because Steve Young had won his Super Bowl. And it was like the flaw in your theory, right? And somebody brought up, well, Lavelle won a national title. And subsequently, Mike Weir won a Masters. Uh, But is that a theory you still hold near and dear to? Or has there been enough winning now, even without the Rose Bowl in the NBA Finals? Yeah, it's it's still pretty... uh pretty intermittent to have Utahns actually win things. I mean, one example is that, that Daniel Summerhays has never won a tournament as a professional golfer, as, as weird as that sounds. I mean, even uh, in the old days, Tony Finau uh, won the Pro Bowl Open for $3,000, but, I mean, he, he won a, a golf tournament as a professional golfer, and Summerhays never did that. Not, the whole genesis of my theory was was in that convergence of around ninety seven and ninety eight when the Jazz finished second in the NBA and the Utes finished second in NCAA basketball and so I started adding up all the other deals like that. But but yeah, I, th- I think the theory pretty well holds true. I think Finau's finished second nine times on the PGA Tour with to his one win and I mean it, it, it's 
it's harder to win than it is to finish second, especially in golf because you can you can be in a six way tie for second or whatever and count it as second place. But but yeah, I I, I think uh, the series the, the theory still holds. The youths you, you could say they finished second in the Pac-12 football two years in a row. So so yeah, the breakthroughs are are still pretty rare. So I talked to, talk to you about Ryan Smith, jazz owner. He's out there competing, and he said something along the lines that basically it's a haven for him. I'm I'm loosely paraphrasing, uh, and it's it's uh, you know his way to unwind or whatever it might be that he used. I can't ex- remember the exact phrasing, but also at the at the same time when you're out there and people are watching. You know, whether it's just your playing partners or some media, you said Romo brought some spectators. Ryan Smith has a higher profile. So if you're going to watch Tony Romo play, you might as well go over a couple of fairways and check out Ryan Smith. So the point being, eyes are on you and you got to have some level of competitiveness to even dare get out there. I mean, I geez, I couldn't imagine even teeing it up there. I'd be so nervous. But uh, he's willing to do it. So he's got to have a drive to succeed. And obviously he does in the business world, or he wouldn't get to where he's already been. And I want to relate that to the jazz, because see if you buy this type of theory that I'm going with, is that he's out there competing in a public event, trying to do his very best. So there's an internal drive to compete. And how does that relate to the Jazz? Because as of right now, and things could change as the season progresses, he's got to write a $39-40 million luxury bill tax. So what do you think of his willingness to compete? You've seen it at the golf level. And how strong is it going to be? Because it's easy for me to say, yeah, go ahead and compete at the highest level, but I don't have to write that $35, $40 million check at the end of this year, depending on how the roster is, if I'm over the salary cap. What do you think about his willingness to compete at the highest level? We've seen him trying it in golf, but as far as basketball and virtually win at a significant cost, not necessarily at all costs, but a significant cost. Yeah, I think you're really onto something there, PK. I, I I'll, I'll back up and, and talk about him as a golfer first. And uh, in, in contrast to Tony Romo, who looks like an athlete just got transported onto a golf course, you watch Ryan Smith for one hole, and you can tell that he is a golfer. He just he just acts like a golfer. All his mannerisms are, are exactly like uh, a pro golfer would go about things. And uh, – and yeah, he 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 does compete, and, but he clearly loves golf. He, he he wasn't just out there for for giggles. There's no question about that. He was he was battling to shoot a score, and he he, he hit some of the most impressive shots I've seen all summer in, in tournament golf. Now he's he's a little rusty when it comes to that. And and the one thing about playing in that tournament, to your point, you, you, you're accountable for every single shot. It's not like a pro am where if you have a bad hole doesn't count uh, and and so it, it there's some scrutiny that and accountability that goes along with that so so I had a really good impression just of him as a person as and a golfer watching him play all day all morning on Friday but now to to address your point I, I think there's no question that I think if you look at his life in entirety, it's, it's all about competition. I mean, he doesn't still have to be the CEO of Qualtrics. He sold the company, but yet he's he's competing every day to to make it better. And uh, there's there's 
I, I did come away in a golf context. I definitely came away with the impression that, that he is driven to be the really good, if not the best, at everything he does. And NBA ownership is definitely one of those things. All right, we'll leave it here. Last thing before we let you go, Kurt. One golf story that you have emailed to Jay, and he has liked, that really should be shared with our audience. You know, that's got the Kurt Cragthorpe, Jay Drew stamp of approval. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one. I'm going to say it's uh, Kirsten Fotu, a BYU women's golfer, making the cut in the Utah Open. In, in the whole scheme of sports, that is uh, kind of insignificant, but, but in the golf world, it, it's a huge thing. In, uh, in a tournament that started in 1926, he's the first woman to, to play the final round yesterday, so I thought that was pretty cool, but uh, probably won't register with the rest of the world. Kurt, we appreciate your time, as always, and we'll have you back on the show so you don't feel left out. I appreciate that, Frazier. <laughs> Kurt Cragthorpe used to write for the Salt Lake Tribune, still does a little bit for them. And you can read him in the Fairways Media as well. And you'll see him at a golf course near you. Who knows when? All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone. We're getting a lot of reaction to the question of the day. Mel Kuyper believes that Utah, or that Utah, that BYU is going to be in a lot of trouble when they play USC. In the final game of the season, we'll get your reaction to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. CBS Sports College football writer Chip Patterson. Three division championships in the last six years, knocking on the door of the college football playoff before falling to Oregon. I think that we have to look at Kyle Whittingham's time in the Pac-12 and Utah's success, particularly over the last half decade or so, and say that they need to be on your short list of contenders just anytime you step in. I think Charlie Brewer is going to have a fantastic season. I think because of the improved play the quarterback position, we can see Andy Ludwig's offense produce at a level more similar to what they were able to do in 2019 with Tyler Huntley. I don't think Utah's going to be undefeated, but I think that Utah can win the Pac-12 South in just doubling down on calling my shot, saying that they could take down Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. Mel Kiber says USC will clobber. Two-word quote right there. Will clobber BYU. Why so disrespectful for a team coming off such a great season? The Bruce. Bruce Jensen tweets at us, well, I'm just stating the obvious stereotypes, blue blood school, high recruiting classes, industry expectations versus BYU, low recruiting classes, religious school with honor code enforcement, where football is fifth. No, it's not. Not anymore. That was then. This is now. Broncos say fifth football was fifth? Yeah. Man, that's way down. <laughs> Ty says, I mean, I'd wait at least a game or two before making a statement like that. Could be embarrassing when the Cougars beat them and keep USC out of the playoff. Winking emoji. Oh, that'd be gigantic, yeah. If SC is in that situation, 
They would have two games to go, BYU, and then obviously if they're in that situation, they got to have won the South, right? Isn't that more of a – in the BCS era, we did see a lot of those late-season upsets where we thought everything was set, and then the final week in the season, or in a conference championship game, we saw a team go down to defeat. But in the playoff era, it seems like teams mostly seal the deal. It's just gotten way Whoa, more predictable. BYU, losing to BYU, is, and you could – Get if in you're the playoff, SC losing you're to BYU? The top four. If you're SC in the top four, no. the top four teams don't get beat very often. Okay, but if you did... Oh, it would be huge. It would absolutely be huge. Oh, you're just saying that I'm the top four teams don't lose late. That's what I'm saying, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they All just right, don't. Right, right. But you're right, if it happened, it'd be ginormous. No, it would be... And the great thing about it is that for once, finally... Since 1991 or whenever it was that they beat Miami, we would we couldn't say, "Well, SC was having a down year," because <laughs> every big BYU win, with the exception of Miami, well, that other team fill in the blanks having a down year. It's never when BYU loses to those teams. It's never well. BYU's having a down year. It's always see they suck. They're frauds. <laughs> it's never well. They're having a down year, or they had injuries. No, you suck. Yeah. You're awful. Go away. But when they win, oh, fill in the blanks. Having a bat down year. I might have to root for SC to go undefeated this year. Ooh. Go 11-0. and zero. To beat your youth and beat your devils? Just so the Cougars can tee them up on Thanksgiving weekend. Hence the word might. Yeah, right. You're not going to do that. <laughs> you can't do well, that. I mean, I don't, I don't root anyway. I mean, that, that doesn't matter. What does rooting do? It doesn't, Nothing. <laughs> so, really, who cares what I root for and don't root for? But uh, if, if SC has to win the South... If you're telling me right now, SC wins the South, knowing that they play BYU at the end of the season, the literal last game, mm-hmm. why not be 11-0? and zero? It's good for the Pac-12. If they're going to be in first place anyway. It's much easier for me to root for SC than it is Phil Knight State. How would the band spell that out? PKSU? <laughs> yeah, PKSU. Yeah, it might be your school, though. could be Pat Kinahan State University. <laughs> uh, no, I think that I would call it some and put a fundamental there before the university. Mm-hmm. So I think I would go Phil Knight Fundamental University. So it could be PKFU. Yeah, got it. We got it. I would put the state out. Even uh, I got it, and we know I got a history of missing those things. So, but I was on point. Much easier to root for the for for SC, and then you've got the Pac-12 needs to get in. I mean, my gosh, the world is coming to an end unless they get in the playoff. And then if, once they get in the playoff, everything is to be solved. Well, in fact, they get in the playoff this year. We'll Brent will rehire Larry Scott and make him a consultant <laughs> or something. Larry will be off the side going, why didn't they get it together when uh, I was there? I mean, the funny thing is that ultimately that that. All these other things don't matter. If they would have kept putting teams in the playoff, it wouldn't have mattered near as much. But they haven't. And I don't think SC's gone once, have they? No. Yeah, no, yeah. they haven't been a playoff. Right. Oregon went once. And Washington. Washington went once. Yeah. Oregon so, won their semi and Washington lost their So I think if it came to that and SC's going to get in, you might as well have a team, whoever it is, 
get undefeated. It would be the same thing with Oregon. I just assume if Oregon is going to win the conference, whoever wins the conference, I'd rather them be undefeated. So they can get in and everybody can shut up. <laughs> so, and it doesn't matter. Who, it doesn't matter which team it is at that point. The problem is no one's gone undefeated in the conference. And then Fact. they have these big non-conference games. Oregon has to go to Ohio State. So it could be the same thing that Oregon had a couple years ago. Oregon loses by three at Ohio State and gets beat by one point by Utah. 35-34. Yeah, they're out. That <laughs> they're seems out. so ridiculous to me. <laughs> I know. You know? know? Which is what happened but essentially actually, will, two years ago. That will lead to a course of... Yeah, the difference being these two teams that we just said would have more respect than that ASU club. You don't know that. <laughs> we haven't played a game, so there's so no, we just doubt there's the no difference. Well, what, <laughs> right now, there's no difference. Wasn't that a seven-win ASU team? Yeah, but you don't have no idea what Utah's going to be when they play them. That's what I'm saying. You don't, you're assuming. We are you assuming, assuming that, that was a fact. Five. I'm going to definitely assume that Ohio <laughs> State's better than seven and five. So it comes down to what do we assume about the Utes? Well, yeah, but it wasn't the Ohio State didn't the loss that that Oregon had was it to Auburn? Did it, that wasn't the one that kept them out? No, it was the conference one late in the season. So, because no one has gone through undefeated. So, yeah, I would love if SC is going to do it, have them be 11 and 0 when they face the Cougars. Why not? If I'm the Cougars, I'd want them to be 11 and 0 too for two reasons. I get the biggest bang for my buck if I beat them, and that meant they beat your dreaded rival. Sweet. Yeah. Start rooting for that right now. Right. So, why wouldn't you want that? I mean, you got you got to play them either way, right? And I don't think at that point you're going to be five and six fighting for bowl eligibility. I mean, because what the heck is six and six playing in some who gives a crap bowl that nobody wants to be there anyway? Uh, so uh, I, I don't think it'll come to that. But if I'm a BYU fan, I absolutely want SC to run the table. And if you should find a way to win, and that's in the Coliseum too, no less, on Thanksgiving weekend on a Saturday, and SC, the premier program in the West, being undefeated? Oh my goodness, you'd have every, everybody would be interested in that game big time. That's the point of playing that game, isn't it? That is the point of playing that game. Yeah. Well, that and making money and exposure and all that stuff. Well, that that's going to come. Yeah. Well, exposure factors into the uh, the 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 team being good. The more the better they are, the better SC is. The more exposure it's going to get. That would be the talk of the town on uh, that Saturday, or yeah. or a, a, maybe not the talk, but certainly on game day and all those things and whatever Fox does with their pregame show, whatever it's called now. Uh, that would be a prominent discussion point so if i want that and i'm surprised that mel said that they're going to be they're going to get clobbered i'm going to go on record and say byu's not going to get clobbered ben tweets at us clobbering byu isn't disrespectful to usc annihilation is still just as likely mel's trying to be kind to the cougars what He doesn't think they're going to get clobbered. He thinks they're going to get annihilated. What the which, hell's the difference between uh, those two words? Losing by 20 or losing by 40? I don't know. Annihilation and clobber? Yeah. They're synonyms. There's no difference between those two words. 
So it goes at all day. M. Gray tweets back, well, BYU doesn't lose to USC. That's a Utah thing. <laughs> I don't think BYU's beaten SC in the Coliseum. Uh, as near as I can remember, BYU is 1-2 and two against USC because they lost to them twice in the Croton era when SC was on top of their game, Reggie Bush and all that stuff. And then obviously BYU got them in overtime a couple years ago yeah. at home. And the Utes against USC, uh, they split a couple bowl games with them. A Freedom Bowl they lost, and a Vegas Bowl they won, and then they've come in the league and gone, I think, 3-5. and five. Well, the point is that neither team three has won in the Coliseum. Right. That's the point. That is a, And a both teams fact. this year, this is like old school, they're both going to play in the Coliseum this year. How many times can we say that? They have common opponents throughout the schedule. This is the year. This is going to be such a great season that they're going to have to take two years off just to recover. (laughs) (laughs) And because of Baylor. I thought it was Florida. Is it Florida, not Baylor? They're playing the Baylor years and not playing the Florida years. There's a crossover, I believe, on one year with that. I thought it was the Florida thing. We can't play Florida's the reason why they're not playing BYU. We have to, yeah. And then there's a Baylor-Florida matchup, I think, in the same year. I'm waiting for SC to say, you know, we can't play Notre Dame because we're playing BYU this year. Not going to happen. <laughs> but there are rivals, Utah and SC, man. I mean, I was down in Pac-12 uh, country uh, last month, and everybody I talked to was just circling the uh, Utah-SC game. I mean, it's the biggest rival on SC's schedule. It's a massive rivalry now. It just Hello. goes. To, it just goes to show <laughs> that you have no input into scheduling because if you did, you'd have been at the table and this is being discussed. Going, uh, have you thought this all the way through? <laughs> well, I don't mind that they don't play them, but don't tell me we can't play BYU because we're playing Florida. And that's what you would have said had you been at the table and yeah. that was being. Discussed. Don't admit that. <laughs> and then try to say, oh, the in-state game. Because everything you say and do mostly does not dictate that it's a meaningless game. Because you're running out, well, we can't play BYU because we're playing Florida. Yeah, I'm waiting for SC, Clay Helton. He said, you know, PK, man, I can't believe we're playing BYU. We're SC. Yeah. Bring it on. I can't believe we're playing Notre Dame this year, man, because we got BYU at the end of the schedule. You believe that? You see what they're doing to me? They're trying to get me fired. (laughs) (laughs) Just Utah. Memo to Utah. Don't admit it. Say, we're just going to take a two-year break. But don't say, well, because we got to play Florida that we can't play you guys. Yeah. Come on. You want to be thought of as the toughest, biggest, baddest team on the block, Mr. Physical this and that, then fine. Go ahead. Bring them, play one, play them all. Play Alabama, BYU, and Florida. So the 2022 schedule next year is Florida, Southern Utah, and San Diego State. Yach brings up 23. That's when they play Florida, Baylor, and Weber State. If I'm Brady Hoke, I say, guys, you listen here, man. They can't play BYU, but they can play us? This is complete and total dis-friggin' respect. We will not tolerate it.
Get that word to Brady. You're tight with uh, BH. <laughs> really not. Never met him. Don't even really well, he's like a tough guy. He's a fake guy. You're a tough guy. He's a fake well, tough guy. Well, you're a fake tough guy, too. That we've got in common. <laughs> Rocky Long could take us both. Rocky Long's a real tough guy. He's 72 years old. He's still a real tough guy. I don't want to tangle with Rocky at 72. I don't want to tangle with Jerry Sloan at 72. 72-year-olds you don't want to brawl with. Those two come to mind. <laughs> But think about it. They can play San Diego State. Get the word out. Get the word out to that dude who thinks we're shooting black people in down Main Street in Provo still. What or, radio guy was that? Was I don't know. Guy. You remember what I'm talking about? I right? know that. I remember that it happened. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't who, know. He said walking in Provo was. was like walking in Birmingham in the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Get that word out to that guy. That's complete disrespect to your Aztecs. They'll have the new stadium back by then, won't they? It doesn't matter they're playing up here, but still, <laughs> follow along. <laughs> they and, will, yes. They're, they're two years up in Carson. They did one in the pandemic. That was smart. They're not going to have fans anyway, so hurry it along. Yeah. And, yeah, the the stadium won't be open this year, but it will be the next year. I can't believe that the Utes— But Utah State will get a look at it. I can't believe that the Utes have agreed to play San Diego State and BYU in the same year. <laughs> Talk about daunting. They've done that. They've done that many years. <laughs> This is a blast. That's got to stop. This is a blast from the past, man. <laughs> this goes back to the Rice Stadium. Are we days. trying to make this program competitive? <laughs> this goes or back. What? This goes back to when there was that old wooden scholarship box up there on the uh, on the east side. Well, they didn't think that through. There was an asphalt path down um, on the west side, and now you can kiss my asphalt. Hey, oh, I knew as soon as I said that you were going to let it go. All right, DJ PK ninety seven five at twelve eighty the zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. What would have to happen for Donovan Mitchell to win the NBA Most Valuable Player? He would have to go full on, I am the team now. I mean, (laughs) I don't see Donovan scoring 30 points a game on this team. Certainly capable of doing it. I'm not talking about capability. I know. I'm talking about role and system and what makes the Jazz successful. The Jazz aren't the type of team that get out of the way on a missed free throw so Russell Westbrook can get the rebound. (laughs) That's not exactly their philosophy. He could do it, but it wouldn't be good for the team, which is the whole idea behind being a most valuable player. I don't think the MVP always goes to the most valuable player. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The 1-1. Fly ball right center. Deep. Got a chance! Five! Hundred! Miguel Cabrera has done it! The high five to Santiago as he rounds third and his teammates pour out of the dugout and this crowd in Toronto on their feet. McGill Cabrera's 500th home run is the Chevy Strong play of the game. 28th player in Major League Baseball history to hit 500 career homers. Know that play today at 450 on the big show and you will win fabulous prizes. I got something for you. What is that? Just checking out TMZ. Mm-hmm. Kyle Kuzma has a almost uh, about half back length tat. Yeah, and it is of the Utah Mountains. Yeah, it's the Rocky. It, it looks like a Jazz logo from the nineties. At the top, I'd yeah. give you that. But about a third of the way down, I wouldn't say so. There were a lot of comments about that on social media over the weekend as that made its appearance. That's where I seen it. 
you're getting a tat representing the homeland, what's it going to be? <coughs> well, for a lot of people, it'll have to be something from Lake Powell. That's their, their favorite Utah spot. Oh, not for me. Oh, really? No. We're aware of for that. For you, what, well, what green is it going to be? No, no. It involves a trumpet. I was going to say CTR, maybe. Hey, that, that CTR, that's a de- hotly debated topic, whether we should be teaching that or not. I'm not getting involved in that. Well, once upon a time, there was a local player who had CTR tests. I'm not, well, I'm not, I, that, that race theory stuff, I'm not even touching that. No way. That'd I'm be, not going down be, that road. That'd be CRT, CRT but you know. CTR. Oh. <laughs> Dial it back over there, cowboy. <laughs> You're almost running out of air. I didn't say, because there's no I'm way. I'm not getting into that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I assume you guys, because you guys are constantly talking about that stuff during the break. I get it. You guys get on topic Literally for not a at sports all. show here, guys. Literally not at all. No, I think I'm going to get a picture of the Salt Lake Temple. Mm-hmm. Big tad on my back. I really thought there was going to be a, oh. a golf hole somewhere. Oh, I want something that's everlasting. Far beyond. Now, you guys think that, according to your doctor, and I've been reading up on this. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't even say this. You can't. You're you forcing can't. me here. No, it's, it's my fault. I agree. You I laugh. agree. I agree. You laugh. You laugh first. Cool. You laugh first. But I laugh quietly. <laughs> but I'm looking Nobody at you. Nobody knew. But big deal. I said well, you did. You look forced at me. He's got an awesome the poker face. forced me into that one. The two of yous. <laughs> All right. The twos of us. All right, Jersey guy. <laughs> so... Now, you believe that everything will be restored. Like, if you're bald, you'll get your hair back. So when you come back, do you come back with all the tats? 27, prime of your life. Yeah. According to the doctor, I've you're supposed told. to be able to pick what you want. So you, there are going to be tats what in the afterlife. Pick, all my tats, they're all coming back. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any tats. <laughs> you, know, you got that MV on your ankle. Right? But no, all the old M- linemen. The MV- all the old linemen got that, right, Yak? No. <laughs> Not one of them got that. From Orem, Utah. Come on now. I felt bad for you when I saw the score Friday. Oof. You shouldn't feel bad. They're resetting once again. Oof. Reloading here. We'll, we'll get some recruiting going on later. Yeah, okay. But, Way to go. So are you restored with your tats intact? Did everybody ask you when you were out in the field, so to speak? Hit us up on Twitter with your answers to this one. I don't know. I don't know the question of that. We have to go now because we have a serious topic coming up, not this. (laughs) This is potentially serious. Potentially. (laughs) I love that. You don't give ground on anything, man. (laughs) You don't give ground no matter what. You stake out your spot and that's it. Yog, what's that young gal? We protect this house, as Kyle Whittingham <laughs> likes to say. She, potentially serious. There's I a, can't argue that it's serious. He's got me. <laughs> but it's potentially serious. It is. There's that one gal's no a motivational speaker. Her name's Al Fox. Right, and she's all tatted no, up, right? No retreat. Yeah. Right. Now, when she's resurrected uh, and comes back, or whatever it is, help me out here. My, my vocabulary's a little off. Resurrected. Is it going to be? Are her tats going to be there? No retreat whatsoever, man. I figure she wants them, she'll be able to have them. Okay, there it is. Potentially serious. He spoke to the, he taught the people in Asian country. 
Three. I don't think he was in Taiwan. Yes, I know. I don't okay. think. Yes. I don't think I have ever had I forgot anyone. Which country. I don't think I've ever had anyone. Yak, have you ever had anyone in any debate argument where you know it's fired up people? Has anyone ever retreated but held their ground with the line potentially serious? What's wrong with that? Probably not. You are a beauty, man. All right, Mark Anderson, sports reporter for the Las Vegas Review Journal, with some potentially serious comments from the Pac-12 commissioner about expansion. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. DJ PK, and we are joined by Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review Journal. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good. We have many things to discuss with you. Uh, mostly Pac-12, but you might have a Major League Baseball question or two based on some of the headlines sure. from the weekend. Uh, but I'm just really curious how much this surprises you, because I think you're coming up on, well, it's more than 20 years. You might be coming up on a quarter of a century in Las Vegas, and everything seems to be changing very quickly in the world of sports in Las Vegas. It's like a different town. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've been here since 99, so you're you're correct. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, if you told me and like moved, moved here, uh, how much does it do to, I'm not shocked. We eventually got a pro team. Um, because I feared at some point that was going to happen the way the city was growing. Um, but you know, to have the NFL here, I never thought would happen. And now, you know, there's still, now there's talk of the A's. There's talk about the NBA's the real possibility. Um, I'm not sure we can support three or four teams, but who knows, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it is pretty incredible. Yeah, the thing that's got me nervous, Mark, is I am not going to be heading south out of uh, Vegas on I-15 on Sunday after Raider games, man. The traffic already is miserable. I can only imagine what that's going to be. We didn't have it last year because of no fans, but this year, it's it's just going to be incredible. Oh, yeah, I know. You're right. That Sunday, uh, whether you're going to L.A. or Phoenix on on that Sunday or up to Salt Lake on that Sunday, it's just just, uh, horrible. Well, LA's already horrible <laughs> on a Sunday. I mean, to put a football crowd on top of that, I've seen that thing. At par- I used to live in Southern California. It was a parking lot. Yeah. Everybody has stories about it. Everybody yeah. makes that oh, mistake yeah. once. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I once drove from LA to Las Vegas and t- took uh, took us seven hours to get here. Oh gosh, that was not fun. That was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> what should be for? You know, the thing that caught my eyes the other day, you had an interview with George Klyakov, uh the. Uh, Back 12 commissioner, I assume, Mark, that you have a relationship with him because of his presence for the time that he worked in Los Angeles. And I not only saw your story in the Review Journal, I also saw it being quoted in several different places, media outlets over the weekend. So it got a lot of buzz. Uh, and we talked about it the other day, and I said, we got to get Mark on to have him talk about it. Um, the thing that, and there was plenty of stuff in there that caught my eye, but he was talking about the expansion potentials. And he said, you know, it's the schools that you would think of that have contacted the Pac 12, which we assume the, the remaining eight of the Big 12. But then he also said, and plus there'll be some that I think you would be surprised by. And that shot up our antennas. What do you think he meant by that latter statement? 
Yeah, the, I I wasn't sure what to make of that either. Um, you have to figure any group of five schools reaching out to them, at least on, in the west western part of the United States. But I'm wondering if maybe there's like a big ten, couple of Big Ten schools out there, maybe a couple of ACC schools out there, um, who are that are, are putting fewers out to the Pac-12. That's because when he says those, because you wouldn't expect schools from those conferences maybe to be reaching out. So that's what makes me wonder. Uh, Maybe like there's a, maybe there's a couple schools in the ACC that are looking at their situations like because I think they get that really long contract the ESPN they're like you know what's the, what's the, what's the big play here is this are we going to just wait out this long contract where everyone else moves forward I mean maybe that's what's going on I don't know but that's that's kind of my suspicion because like I said you would expect group of five schools you as, as you pointed out all the big Big 12 schools are, are looking to do something. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's about the only thing I can really figure. So when he talks, and you went down an interesting line with him, and a lot of it's been covered, but the whole in-bet, in-game betting thing seems like it's about to explode. Your ability to bet on your phone legally in a lot of places and to bet on you know quarter-by-quarter, inning-by-inning, uh, maybe even possession by possession. I don't know where this is going. That seems like a massive new revenue stream, and he seemed really dialed into it. And I thought his answer to you was really careful, not just legalized and all that, but he mentioned and taxed. For all of you on the fence, think about how much tax money your local city or state might be getting. Absolutely, and I think that's part of the big selling point. Um, You know, the the, the argument that Las Vegas has made for years and years is, that sports betting is is, um, is is there's there's regulation here that it's it's harder to fix games here than it is places where it's, where it's illegal. And if you looked at most of the the uh, point shaving scandals, really pretty much all of them they're from outside of Nevada. Um, so I think now most places are have come around to that thinking as well, and they realize that if if you really want to monitor it, you have to legislate it or, or you know, regulate it. And then if you can take make money on top of it, <laughs> you know, that I think that gets people really thinking. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think uh, at some point it's just going to be everywhere. It's going to be legal everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like uh, marijuana in that regard, where it's becoming it state, uh, different states are realizing, you know, you can actually make money off taxing this thing. So I think that's kind of where you're, you're seeing that heading. So I've been reading a lot about Klyovkov. It was an out-of-the-box hire. Didn't know much about him until he got hired as they uh, announced it to succeed Larry Scott. Uh, was down in Los Angeles last month. We broadcast all day on Pac-12 Media Day. He came on. Seems like a real affable guy who has a good sense of humor and all that stuff. Uh, why do you think that the Pac-12 was interested in him as the commissioner, and what does he bring? Well, he, he's he's done some work on the sports side. He was one of the big drivers in helping Las Vegas land some NCAA championship events, including uh, the uh, 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 not a Final Four, but a, a men's basketball regional and a Frozen Four uh, hockey uh, final version of the Final Four. So he was he was pretty big behind that. MGM, of course, is a huge property. Um, he sees it not only, he's handled not only the sports side, he's handled the entertainment side and he, and he understands the importance of, uh, you know, selling things to fans, to spectators. 
So I think I think the Pac-12, especially when you look at the TV deal and how they really need to get that going, get make the Pac-12 more visible. I think they, he, I think he probably brought some ideas ideas to them that showed he can get it done. So uh, it was, you know, it's definitely a, a an out of the box hire. I don't know this hire gets made ten years ago, maybe not even five years ago, but I think that where the Pac-12 is now and where you also see, as we talked about the league sports betting and his background there, I think, uh, I think the time was just right for him. Mark Anderson joining us, sports reporter for the Las Vegas Review Journal has a long interview. You can find it online and read it with the Pac-12's new commissioner. And I, I thought one thing Kalavka kind of hinted at was that the league gets well compensated for playing in that fourth TV window, that late night game that is 8.30 mountain time and causes fans here to grind their teeth. Uh, But he also made the point, uh, while it's really valuable to the networks because they're the only Power 5 league that can play in that that window, it costs them when it comes to Heisman Trophy. It costs them when it comes to perception because by halftime, it is midnight on the East Coast and only the really hardcores are hanging in there. So he... Definitely is signaling that he wants some guaranteed earlier time slots. Uh, CBS has just lost the SEC. Whether they get the deal or not, will it force Fox or ESPN to guarantee them some earlier time slots? Or might they send part of the package to CBS so that they're guaranteed something while the rest of the country's awake? Yeah, and I think my suspicion is what's going to happen. They'll probably still have games at that time slot because that is such a wide open window in, in the West Coast and you do, you, you know, you're right, you're, you're, you're cutting up the East Coast audience, but you, your primary target really is the West Coast and there are people who still want to see games that, uh, at that time. So I still think that's probably going to happen, but what's my, my suspicion is, is you're going to see more of a push for earlier games where maybe teams don't play a limited number of games at night. Um, and they'll play more games earlier so they can get that exposure. So that's probably what they're aiming for, some sort of in-between where you, uh, you, you, where you get both. Um, you can still get the, get the more heavier money for the night games, but, but, uh, but not so much that you're, you're hurting yourself in the long run. I'm wondering what the hardcore Vegas people, the ones who have ties to UNLV, you know, the Tina Kunza Murphys of the world, uh, think of the Pac-12 coming into a town, uh, coming into Vegas, and establishing a presence because we know they're going to have the Pac-12 basketball, Pac-12 title football, uh, the bowl game is going to be involving Pac-12 teams, uh, maybe at the expense of overshadowing UNLV, I guess, to say. How was how that perceived in the Vegas area? Uh, I mean, you know, be frankly, has really dropped down. Uh, not not just because of the Pac-12, but the Raiders and the Golden Knights. Uh, and now, if you get another, another pro sports team or two, it's going to be even more. I mean, you know, is I hate to, it's really sad to say, but it's, it's it's quickly becoming an afterthought. And and you know, when you have a football team that's zero and six last season, a basketball team that hasn't made the NCAA tournament, and I want to say twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, something like that. You know they're they're just they're not doing anything on their end to to get attention, and if they were good, I I think you'd have much more interest. But that's just that's just the reality UNLV right now. And you know the Pac-12 is here. You know this they don't they don't need UNLV. I know that a lot of UNLV fans are are really hoping the Pac-12 will invite them one day. I don't really see why the Pac-12 needs to invite UNLV because the Pac-12 is already in the Las Vegas market. 
So they, they're they're here without have, needing the team to be here. Well, one day you can have uh, Ed Graney write a, a big series on this. On he knows how San Diego State got over overshadowed by the Chargers and the Padres, and it sounds like it's the same thing that's happening to UNLV. Yeah, no, no that's, that's absolutely, and that's a good point about Ed. You're right. He he went to San Diego State, so he he knows he knows um, it's a very similar deal there. But the difference of San Diego State now, one thing they've got one less mark with the Chargers out of there, right. but also their basketball team has been so good. And so, you know, it's become a national power consistently. And so um, they, they do get a lot of attention. And even the football team, you know, has, has been consistently good for a long time. So I, it's, it's not quite apples to apples, but it, it's, you know, but that's what, that's what you have. I mean, you probably in Salt Lake somewhere with the Jazz, right? It's that BYU and Utah has such strong bases that you know, they're, they're always going to draw, draw a lot of crowds. So we got a new coach in Vegas, and what are they going to play some games, if not all, in the new stadium? That's not going to generate any buzz. Yeah, all, all yeah, they're all games at the Allegiant Stadium. So um, they just they got to start winning. That's <laughs> if they want to get any attention from fans or media, they got to start winning. I mean, it's, it's I, I say it's that simple. Obviously, it's not simple. When you're talking about UNLV football, uh, but it's that's that's what they got to do. They got to start winning, and that's the only thing that's going to get people interested. Until that happens, if that ever happens, they're just going to they're just going to sort of be there. Yeah, the history of uh, college teams playing in NFL stadiums is not good. There's a couple there's a couple success um, stories, but there's a lot of them that are are not good. Uh, and no. so now you've got one, and everyone's driven down the freeway and seen it. Uh, you've got one uh, domed professional stadium and now we hear the talk from from the A's is is there the money and the interest in Vegas to build another dome stadium well I'm, I'm really skeptical on that um, there's still a lot of controversy about how much money the uh, public money the Raiders got to build Allegiant Stadium people still aren't even though most of it comes from from really pretty much all of it comes from tourism people aren't crazy about that kind of money being put into a, a stadium so there's really little appetite to do it again, and then you throw a pandemic on top of it. I, I just don't see. I don't know where the A's will get the money from. I really don't. And so, if you notice, they restarted talks with the city of Oakland about two or three weeks ago. I think that's probably why is because they realize that they, their best situation still might be in the Bay Area as far as getting financial help. Um, but they are scheduled to come back down here, so we'll see. Uh, you know, maybe they can be creative and work something out where uh, they can get something built. I just don't know how much public money they're going, if any, they'll be able to get for it. Speaking of that pandemic, how much is Vegas back open? Oh, it's fully open. Um, they've now they've reinstituted some restrictions recently with the uh, surge. By uh, you have to have masks indoors, and now you have different properties. I think MGM recently announced that all new employees and. Uh, all management have to be vaccinated, so you're you're th- having things like that happen. But as far as people wanting to come here and visit, there's really very little change. So I'm, uh, you know, poker and you know, keep the poker face and all that. Are people playing poker yeah. masked up? I mean, what's going? On? How does that work? I think yeah, yeah. I think they have to. I mean, you know, when they made the mask optional, of course, that really meant that people weren't going to wear them. Um, but yeah, now that you indoors, <laughs> you have to wear them. I I'll be honest with you. I've been inside a casino in quite some time. Um, so I, I don't know how 
strict they're being as far as enforcing that, and it may depend on the casinos and all that. I mean, it's really hard to enforce. I mean, you've got thousands of people, and it's hard to go to enforce everyone that wears one, but uh, maybe they are, I, I, but I couldn't tell you. You going to cover Arizona BYU? Uh, I don't. I don't think I'm covering. We'll probably. I'm sure we'll have someone there, but I don't. I don't believe I'll be there that night. How, how's the stadium look from the inside? Uh, sta- so, you know, it's it's interesting. It's got the interesting lighting. The the, the green grass just really just pops. Um, so it's 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 really nice. Uh, um, yeah, I I I've heard. I've you know I haven't been to. Other NFL stadiums very much, but I heard I guess Minnesota's probably like the and, and SoFi Stadium in LA are like the the gold standards, and I guess this is like just like a run below from from what I'm hearing. So, how many more early season college football games are getting scheduled into Las Vegas? Is uh, is Arizona and BYU the start of a trend, or is it going to be kind of a rare thing? No, they want to make that a, a pretty regular thing. You know, sort of a. a Make this uh, make this something they do probably annually. Get to uh, get two two main teams in here, and and uh, you know because I you know let's be honest with you, this game's going to draw more than your average UNLV game. So uh, I think I think uh, I think you're going to if, if they can make it work every year, I think they'll 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 do that. Even look at what they've done with basketball. They've had marquee basketball matchups in here uh, every uh, early season. Um, it's all obviously harder to do with football, but but that's that's what they want to do in both sports. They want to have top top programs in both sports here every year. Well, PK would love to see you at that uh, Arizona BYU game just to hear you say. So that's what this place <laughs> looks like full. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you yeah. remember it, but I... I do remember that. Yeah, it was it was the Las Vegas Bowl. Yes. Yeah, but that's that's what it took to fill up Sandboy Stadium. It was uh, I don't remember which Las Vegas BYU think played in thirteen straight Las Vegas. Yeah, Bowl. I think it was the first one, and you said it in a quiet moment. And the thing there was a bunch of out of towners like me who laughed, and there was a bunch of Vegas people who kind of silently laughed. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember. Yeah, that was that, you know that was the game. That saved the Las Vegas Bowl. Exactly. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, if you remember, Las Vegas Bowl was yeah. really there was. In fact, I even written about it. it. Was there were real questions about whether it was going to survive, and uh, BYU saved the Las Vegas Bowl. And and, and uh, you know, I know Tina Kunza Murphy got a lot of credit, and she probably deserved a lot. But but if uh, if BYU doesn't come in that year, right. I, I'm not sure the game's still being played. Yeah. I remember watching a Utah State Ball State Las Vegas Bowl. Ball State <laughs> brought twelve people. I think Utah State brought about five thousand. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and tonight's attendance is five thousand and twenty-eight. <laughs> um, and I watched uh, San Diego State North Carolina, which was played in like sixty mile an hour winds. Both oh, punters yeah. had like zero yard punts. Uh, my dad was at the game and said that keeping the sand out of his hot chocolate was like the big, <laughs> the big challenge. He and my grandfather were there, and they said they were just holding on. Man, he said, "I just, I just need to make it back to the bus." Man, this is brutal. So uh, yeah. it was. It's definitely a different era for the Las Vegas Bowl. That's for sure. Oh, it is. I mean, now you got you got the uh, what the, the number three. Pac-12 team, I think, or number two. I don't. I think it's the three because I think they're trying to avoid bringing a team back that's been in the title game. Okay, yeah, and then against uh, either SEC or Big Ten each year. So yeah. that's you know that's, that's a different era. This game's come. Yeah, it's a different era. 
Yeah. All right. Well, Mark, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us and talking all things Las Vegas. It's uh, it's like a home away for home from Utah sports fans. It really doesn't matter. BYU fans, yeah. Utah fans. I think uh, all Jazz fans agree we're happy you're keeping your grubby hands off the Jazz, though. That was a that was a dark <laughs> era in the '80s, but that, that's gone now. Yeah, that's a, that was definitely on Salt Lake's team now. So yep. yeah, I think I think I think we're getting the NBA team maybe sooner than later. Who knows? But uh, it won't be the Jazz. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Mark. Mark Anderson. Right, thanks for having me on. Good something to you guys. Yep. Sports reporter for Las Vegas Review Journal. Join us right here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. CBS Sports College football writer Chip Patterson. Three division championships in the last six years. Knocking on the door of the college football playoff before falling to Oregon. I think that we have to look at Kyle Whittingham's time in the Pac-12 and Utah's success, particularly over the last half decade or so, and say that they need to be on your short list of contenders just anytime you step in. I think Charlie Brewer is going to have a fantastic season. I think because of the improved play the quarterback position, we can see Andy Ludwig's offense produce at a level more similar to what they were able to do in 2019 with Tyler Huntley. I don't think Utah's going to be undefeated, but I think that Utah can win the Pac-12 South in just doubling down on calling my shot, saying that they could take down Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Back to throw is Wilson. Well protected. Floats one up the seam at the goal line. Croft makes the catch. Turns. End zone. Touchdown. Tyler Croft from Zach Wilson. Play action. Bootleg out to the left. Zach Wilson flips it left. Tyler Croft makes the catch. Left sideline 10. He's at the 5. Front left pylon. Powers his way into the end zone. There's a jet touchdown. Time to get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show. Zach Wilson had a game, 9 of 11, 128 yards, two touchdowns. As the Jets beat Green Bay, 23-14, it is preseason. How many second and third stringers is he facing? How many exotic blitzes is he going to see in the regular season that he's not seeing now? All kinds of questions there. But all you can do is look good right now, and he looks good right now. Don't talk to me. Herm is is on making his first appearance down in Phoenix radio station right now. PK's listening on his phone. He's literally talking into a mic with a phone. If you have a plan that can't be changed, it's a bad plan. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. The guy's just a genius at this stuff. It's hard. Have you, you, did you, when you were interviewing him at a Pac-12 Media Day? Talk a little lower. When you were interviewing him at a (laughs) Pac-12 Media Day? I just go to my golf voice. Bob Casper is at the 17th green. Brian Taylor's at the 16th green. Right now, let's go to PK at the 14th tee. I can't hear Patrick? <laughs> They're talking about distractions, and he's trying to deflect. Yeah. Oh, the, the announcer, the, the ex-jock who played in the NFL, doesn't think the players are going to be affected. Sweet. Nice. Talk among yourselves. I got some level football right now. <laughs> Always something university. <laughs> How did I not know that? You said know. that's been out there for a long time for ASU. We've been sitting in here just blathering on about sports and commercial breaks for almost 20 years. I thought you would have told me that. <laughs> I would have. I mean, I like oh. that. It's a little something. It's a shot. <laughs> Always something university. Well, because I don't think that they've had a level of expectation that they had this year in a long time. So there was no need. If you're expected to go six and six, seven and five. You don't bring out Always yeah. Something University. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, that's basically. But it's been long enough now. I mean, I I can remember being a kid, and I must have been in elementary school because we hadn't moved yet. Because and this neighbor was just going nuts about 
uh, San Diego State's going to play Arizona State in the Fiesta Bowl. And I can remember thinking, what? San Diego State doesn't go to bowl games. And in that era, they didn't. Uh, there weren't nearly as many. And your Sun Devils were in the middle of their Frank Cush run. And ASU has been talked about as, sleepy, as a sleeping giant since then. And there have been two glorious Rose Bowls. But there's never been a run. No, there's never been no sustaining. No, there's never been run. Even I've gotten tired of the sleeping giant talk. Like obviously, there's some flaw in the equation that people aren't accounting for because it would have happened. There, too many people have had a shot at this, and I think it comes down to what you say. Certainly, it does now. This heat is just overwhelming people, and kids don't want to stay at home. And it's 116 degrees. Hey, let's go work out. <laughs> No. <laughs> Let's go pass out. <laughs> I mean, we're literally, no. this is like legitimate health concerns at this point. Get in the car and go to San Diego. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this is what they do in troves. <laughs> so, yeah, Jake's got to say, I don't understand why they don't win my No, it's yeah. clear now. You've I would got, say, no, you're right. You don't understand. But, I get but, it. So but stop had, saying you don't understand. You've, you've got players <laughs> talking about it on the air. Yeah. In a tone that's like, yeah, absolutely. Of when course. I'm, when I'm adamant about something, it's usually I have a level of uh, background and back. And other people there. back you up. Yeah. Yes. So you and Gordon both pop off a lot, but you and Gordon both talk to a lot more people. When I started doing the show with Gordon a long time ago, before he wrote a column, I was surprised how many calls he made. And sometimes I'd be sitting right there while he'd be making them. People yeah. would be telling him. Stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. He, like you, he'd tell me, "I'll tell you this, but you can't repeat it." Well, I want to know the good stuff, so I don't repeat it. Like, I already got blowback on saying that somebody told me the NFL said BYU looks like they have the most NFL parts, whether they are or not. It's a second to ASU, and the guy's already getting at me that, you know, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I, I, it was what was told to me, man. What can I tell you? Right. <laughs> if and you it don't want to be, believe it, don't believe right. it. And, and the thing when I hear that, <laughs> if you want to dismiss it, don't dismiss it because and PK's not making it up. Right. I, I have I'm zero doubt about that. Literally what was said to However, me. it's one scout. Scouts miss on stuff all the time. And it's just this year. And it's just this year. But the other yeah. thing is, and this is hard because it hasn't been like this in a long time, but going forward, if we see I don't know what your everyone will draw another, you know, 5, 10, 15 BYU players drafted in the next two, three, four years, whatever it is. Well, then we'll know they're saying that kind of stuff because it's literally changed. I think Did it's this, on the way to changing. I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. I can tell you these guys who haven't been quoted because basically we're quoting Kalani and Aaron Roderick and occasionally Tuiaki, mm-hmm. but they're putting uh, Aaron out there. Which I think is good. He's an offensive coordinator. He has a significant thought, position on the football team. He should be out there. And I also thought <laughs> that that um, availability that he did on Saturday, yeah. and I've interviewed him a lot. I've interviewed him you know, in groups, one-on-one, two-on-one with you sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have never, ever seen him more comfortable in front of a microphone. Because hmm. I think they think that they've got more, something that's developing. Yeah, More eye contact, more yeah. confidence. And it's not that he was a bad interview before, but... I had to edit that yesterday for talking sports last night and had to watch the whole thing, right? And going through it, I mean, I was two minutes into it and I'm like, wow, he is so confident right now. Well, and I, can, I thought individually in himself and in his work, yeah, yeah. And but also authority. in the, gr- the team as a group. And I felt both those things watching it and the more, and I never wavered as I kept watching him. It didn't, it didn't waver in him, so it didn't waver in me. 
the truth of the situation is Aaron Roderick has more authority and freedom as an offensive coordinator than he had at Utah. He also, or worse. More, he also has more experience. Yeah, well, he certainly does. I mean, he'll, he'll have more yeah. experience next year, too. And but, maybe uh, he's got but, more talent. But I think he has uh, – I'm I'm, I can't go there. Not yet. G- give, me, give me time. I, may, I hope I can go there, but I, I can't go there right now. But I think that Kalani gives him – he empowers him more than Kyle empowered him. I totally believe that. And that's just a fact. If I you want to de- take a shot at me, take a shot at me. What can I, I won't, tell you? I won't debate that at all. Yeah. I, but I also think he's going to have, I think, and I don't know this for sure either, but right now I'm leaning towards he's going to have better quarterback play than he had at Utah. I mean, he had four I'd have years. i to go back and remember. I agree. But he had four years, and I'll guarantee you for two of them, the first go-round, the quarterback play was sketchy. Well, he'll tell you he won 39 games in the four years that he coordinated. Right. I know. So. Right. And the second it was better, but I think he had Travis Wilson years. And that's why I'm excited Did he get for one year of Troy, with, I'd have to know. I can't remember. Yeah. I, can't, I, I think he did. I think he did, too. I think he did. One year of Travis and one year yeah. of Troy, I think. And one of the reasons I'm excited now, because he has authority on the offense, and he had a lot of authority last year, but we put in a lot. We put in the catchphrase, a lot of authority. This year, we just say he has authority. Right. So we're, we're removing a lot of right. Uh, what that and he wants to open it up, and I'm real excited to see what that means in terms of success. You can want to open it up all you want, but if the ball keeps bouncing off the ground, who cares? Or yeah. even worse, picks. Y- <laughs> yes, turnovers. I no, think. Well, yeah, yeah, Ky- yeah. Kyle is in like he seems to be more in like preventative mode at all costs, whereas Kalani is wary of them but willing to let it ride a little bit. I don't for a second believe Kalani's willing to let it ride a lot. Oh, no, no one is. But, I mean, Kalani's the guy apparently who signed off or called or was made aware of a, of a fake punt out of your own end zone against Boise. Mm-hmm. That was a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Kalani wants to score points, man, and he doesn't care in which way they come. If you pound it and get down and the ends in a touchdown and you have an eight-minute drive, he'll take it. If you have four eight-minute drives, he'll take it. He doesn't want to win by nine. He wants to win. Mm-hmm. But if you need to open it up to get there because you're having a hard time and you get a holding call and that eliminates you ground and pound, he, he wants that too. So this he is, just wants to score points. He doesn't care which way, how way, what way, anything. See, and there's another intriguing question that's first cousin to this one. And I'm intrigued by this going into the season because I think the answer is, yeah, Maybe. Maybe there's finally going to be a little wiggle room. And I brought this up with you. I don't even know if you remember it. It was probably two or three weeks ago. And you're like, no. <laughs> what? Quit dreaming, DJ. No. What, I'm just wondering room? if Kyle is willing to open it up a little bit because he's going to have better quarterback play than he's had. That he trusts his OC and his quarterback in combination in a way he never has. And he's going to let them open up. Now, they turn it over. He is going to shut them down in 2.2 seconds. Yeah, but you had Tyler Huntley, and he's mm-hmm. in the NFL, and you had mm-hmm. Andy Ludwig. Mm-hmm. How do you open it up more than that? Are these quarterbacks more talented? And Tyler Huntley? Throwing so the we're ball. So they got these two quarterbacks going to play in the NFL? Tyler yeah. Huntley is in the NFL. I agree. I'm not going to slap that on these guys. For, okay. for one, Brewer is way small. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he so, just physically has so, the stature. 
physically he can't play in the NFL, but he can be a very good college quarterback. He can well, have success in college. He can throw the ball, not turn it over. If you tell Kyle you can throw the ball for 30 yards and this kid's only going to turn it over once every Tyler 40 didn't throws. Tyler throw, didn't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. I can't see where you're going to open it up. And I, we, He's we not going to have get Zach that, Moss either. we got to get Zach that Zach Moss cl- is that a heck clip. of a safety net. Like, Tyler, just give it to Zach. Because Zach's going to be in the NFL too. Do they have an NFL running back right now? They always do. <laughs> and maybe they do. But he, everybody knew. They're pumping up this kid, Thomas. Who who did he sign with? He went to Cincinnati, but or not signed, but didn't he commit to, not that Cincinnati's any slouch by any stretch. No, he went to Cincinnati. Right, but wasn't there a bigger program he committed to? But he like signed with Ohio State, commit, uh, and then go Something along else? those lines. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not downgrading. Cincinnati's plenty fine. They're preseason top 10. Yeah, and but Fickle's still. And done a phenomenal it, job. It, it, so they're talking about this kid. And they're kind of talking about him uh, without really saying all that they want to say. Yeah. So I'm expecting him. They always have a great running back. Why would they not have a great running back this year is beyond me. Maybe they don't, but they always do. (laughs) So until I see otherwise, I'm going to suspect and expect them to be able to be successful on the ground. Yep, Kyle this is what said, I was talking about three weeks ago, Yach, when I said he told me no. You're telling me no right now without telling well, me no. Well, but they opened it up. I don't expect them to open it up more than they did in 2019. Okay. Where they have Keithy in the backfield doing all sorts. That's opening it up. They just don't have to throw the ball to True open story. it up. True story. Plenty that of ways. They got Britton Covey that, the most, that they used. When they were running him, that was the one time I started to flash back to uh, – Urban Meyer, because there really hasn't been a hint of Urban Meyer's offense. Urban packed it up and took it with him. It was like all that stuff just vaporized. I thought it was Mike Leach. I was expecting Kyle to do an interview with a Starbucks cup. (laughs) 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 He's opening it up. Starbucks cup. (laughs) You would get a snort out of Kyle with that. Maybe not a full-blown laugh, but at least a snort. (laughs) Um, Any time, well, around Pac-12 media, it seemed like uh, uh, Leach was always carrying around a cup of coffee. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Quit spending time sorting pills. Call Oker Mountain Pharmacy today and have them sort and deliver your custom prescription blister packs free of charge. Call them at 801-252-1000. That's Oker Mountain Pharmacy. Question of the day. Mel Kuyper says USC will clobber. That's a quote. Will clobber BYU. Why so disrespectful for a team coming off such a great season? B-Day 311 says, well, Mel knows BYU lost a ton of production in the NFL. Lots of unproven guys I'm sure he knows nothing about. Not surprised. Clobber? I think there's some level of respect, disrespect towards the program. I would be careful what Mel doesn't know anything about. I remember when uh, Liz Abel, who was a longtime uh, sports information director at the University of Utah, took over football, Mm -hmm. and there were, I don't know, two, three, or four of us standing on the sideline, and somehow Mel Kuyper came up, and she pivoted and said to all of us, he does his homework. I'm surprised at the amount of calls he puts into, and this is Utah in the, um, I don't even know if it's Mountain West. It might have been the WAC days. And he said it was certainly pre-Urban Meyer. It was certainly uh, Ron McBride era. And she said um, he spends a lot of time on the phone with Utah coaches because he calls and sets them up through her, obviously. 
and uh, and she, in her tone of voice, she was super impressed. And you can vouch for this: like if Liz wasn't super impressed, Liz would let you know she was not super impressed. So I took that. She's never what, super impressed with me. <laughs> and she always let you know. <laughs> so, so when she was impressed, I was like, oh, well, Mel must really do his homework. Although we had a nice conversation when she was getting ready to leave, or yeah. to leave because I paid her her due respect, had been there for many years and did a great job, by the yep. way. Their program has always been one of the most accessible programs. Changed a little bit, but when she was there, uh, phenomenal. But changed along with the times. Probably would have changed either way. Right. Uh, Mel says, UCL clobber BYU. Why so disrespectful? And Tom says, wait, who expects BYU to have a shot? Now that's disrespectful, Tom. Well played. That's taking a shot. That is taking a shot. I still think there's a uh, prove-it point of view towards BYU, given his schedule last year, Tom tweets in. That's probably true. Whether it's fair or not, that is probably true. Well, Gordon wrote about that the other day. I should have thought of it the way <laughs> I did two weeks earlier. That, uh, And he didn't see it, so it's fine. But I think both of us are along the line of we're thinking the same thing. That's the most important thing. Not I'm just messing around there on the other stuff. That... BYU has the burden of 11 and 1 this year. Unfair or not, it doesn't matter. Plenty of things aren't are unfair but are still reality. And this is one of the things for BYU. They're going to have to prove even though Zach Wilson is going to be the rookie of the year. Roy Wilson this year. Mark it down. I'm calling it and <laughs> we'll be right. He's gone. But they still have the burden to back it up. And this is, oh man, this is such a huge year for the Cougars because if they get, to me, backing it up means eight and four. I might settle on seven and five if a bunch of games are close. No. I might. You might, but the public won't. And they're not backing it up to you. They're backing yeah, it up to the Yeah, but they're going to be wrong. They're backing, <laughs> I think they got to back it up to me first. I mean, they know you, they got to take care of me. You know they've sent a lot of NFL guys away and that this team doesn't have the players from last year. So you're not expecting them to back it up. That stands on its own. This will stand on its own. Now, you might judge 7-5 and five as a solid season based on how the game goes. I get that. But to the other point about backing it up to the public and the pressures on them, you don't get to decide that. Yeah, I know. But my influence is so enormous, though, I can sway. Ryan says, it's because it's BYU and it's been that way for 100 years. A century. He's got a chip on his shoulder. But Ute fan has a chip on his shoulder, too. David Nelson. Ah, yes, I can hear it in the air. The start of football season, 1280, spending all their time trashing Utah and pumping up BYU. Looking forward to more continued normalcy after Utah beats up on the Y. At 1280, folks get a little less enthusiastic. You look at my background, and it screams lifelong BYU fan. Absolutely. I don't deny that. And since even before I was born, I hated the Utes. Thank you, Morgan. We'll leave it right there. <laughs> no, he said since he was born. I went before. You folk have taught me about that time period. I've gone even before. He started at birth. Mine goes pre-birth. That's a 17-year-old drop. Have you got it? Conception. I was in the womb, and my mother was saying, what Yuck, was all that you. kicking and screaming? I said I was trying to let her know. I hate Utah. Yuck, it's out there somewhere. Dad got played uh, before Morgan was on our staff, before he left our staff, before he became a coach, before he became a defensive coordinator. 
We've had Man, that for a long time. You almost ran out of breath. I did. <laughs> and that's why we're going to end the show. That and because it's 9.59 and Hans and Scotty are on next. We'll see you tomorrow.